Welcome to the Reticle Up Podcast, where I, Three Gun Kenzie, will be interviewing competitive shooters, hunters, fishermen, archers, entrepreneurs, and outdoorsmen. Come learn with me as I interview people from all walks of life, in different disciplines, all across the world, from novices to professionals of all ages. No matter what, everyone has something they can teach you. So come join me on the journey. Welcome back to the Reticle Up podcast. So I've got someone unique on today. Uh, Matt Hornback is a precision rifle competitor and industry marketing guy. So we kind of get along already. Uh, so Matt, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I haven't done a podcast in a little bit, so I was excited to jump back on. Yeah, I was looking that up, so I'm really excited. Um, and obviously, I am a noob when it comes to precision rifle, so this will be good for me. <laughs> for sure. I like it. So uh, before getting started in all of the, the competition stuff, I want to little, know a little bit more about your background. Um, I know you served in the military, but can you share what branch and what did you do? So I am still serving, so I'm in the uh, Nevada Army National Guard. Um, I was an, enlisted as an engineer, uh, combat engineer, and then I decided to go what they call the dark side and commission and become an officer. Where right now I'm actually in a strange little unit called the civil support team. So I'm basically in a chemical slash WMD unit. It's really kind of weird. Every state's got one. Um, so yeah, that's, that's pretty much it right now. I'm, I'm doing that. So what's your day to day? Like, <laughs> So actually, um, I kind of took a half step back from the industry and pursued the career active duty in the military, but I am still uh, still very much involved in the firearms industry. So you won't see me at a lot of trade shows anymore, but as far as traveling, doing matches, and then being contact for modular different technologies and sponsor and match related, that's that's still me. So yeah, I'm still, uh, I still have both feet in the door and then kind of just leading out the other side, so. That's awesome. So two questions then. Did you always know that you want to go into the military? And then did you plan this career that you have like on the side here? <laughs> uh, so no, I actually in high school and college, I didn't want to pursue it. And then I graduated college and I was like, wow, that was very underwhelming. And so I, I decided to pursue something else a little different and I had some very good role models. That said, hey, why don't you uh, why don't you give the uh, the military try? So I did, and I went the National Guard route, which everyone kind of scratches their heads like, why would you go National Guard route? But it allowed me to have an awesome start an awesome career in the firearms industry and get my feet wet in that, uh, as well as serving and then and then learning that whole um, you know armed forces role as well and and really creating a wide breadth of knowledge. So it was it was completely different, um, and I've met awesome people in both worlds. So I'm I'm happy I did it. That's really cool. So for the, the National Guard, did you guys do like training with rifles and pistols or where did the firearms come in? Uh, so, so actually I was gifted a slot to active duty sniper school in 2016. So that's where I kind of got my feet wet in the long range rifle world and met a ton of good people through that. And then that kind of really, once you do school like that kind of opens the door because people kind of find commonality with you and especially in the industry I had no idea how in the industry how many really uh really very well trained very good guys that are military related in the farms industry. it makes sense but you actually don't know that whole number and then people start talking to you and and it really kind of um validates you know that, that you're you know a little bit more than the average bear so um it, it helped and then 
lots of surface weapon stuff being common engineer uh trained a lot in explosives and mines and all that and then um i've always kind of been involved in competing in firearms so yeah it, it all just kind of goes hand in hand i'm actually leaving this friday to go shoot the winston p wilson national guard national competition in arkansas little rock arkansas here yeah, like friday for a week so so cool. that's what i got going on with that yeah it's 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 fun it's a lot of standing in line and shooting groups but it's it's cool <laughs> what's your goal for that match so i did it two years ago the last one they had i believe uh and i got like 82nd out of like 400 or something it was a, a, a like ridiculous ridiculous uh number of shooters there but i had no idea what i was doing we had uh, it's all off the rack weapons there's a lot of people shooting the new sig m17 i saw the old clunky m9 and i held my own for a little bit but um yeah when you travel to one of these matches you better have a gear squared away and i didn't even have a, an iron sight on my uh, m16 um so we i ended up having to shoot and zero during the scored course of fire on the 400 yard line with my m16 that's that's how antiquated we are we use m16 um but yeah no it was good my goal for this is just to beat my 82nd place last time so if we can bump that up uh now that i have a little more experience that'd be cool that'd be really cool but uh met a ton of good people uh none of which uh are returning this year for some reason but uh hopefully soon yeah everyone i contact with hey you shooting this year nope so i don't everyone's got something going on so hmm. that's what it is it's funny how salty are people when you beat them with those guns too <laughs> uh you know for the most part that competition is kind of strange it's not like a civilian competition mm -hmm. it's very military and it's one of those where you have to shoot a lot on like yard lines and then like your rifle portions or your reflexive fire or you're shooting like 100 200 300 400 yard lines and half the day and then you're working the pits with the the paper you roll up and down and score with the markers okay you got half the day it's, it's really it, it's it's interesting but it's, it's also kind of boring because yeah. like I said, it's a lot of standing around, but it's a pretty cool experience. Um, if anybody in National Guard is listening and your state's sending some teams the next year, definitely hop on that. Um, make your voice be known because it's actually a really cool experience. So I, I encourage a bunch of other people to jump on that. I'm taking three new guys this year, so it ought to be fun. That's awesome that you're bringing new people too. Cool. Um, okay, so you, you talked a little bit about uh, you work at Modular Driven Technologies, um, and I know you used to work at Legacy Sports International too. So how did actually all of that connection happen to work at those companies? Uh, I had a friend that worked at Legacy at Accounting, and they're they're local to me in Reno. And then I jumped on, worked at the warehouse, then went to marketing, and then did a lot with uh, product design and development. And wow. then um, I just needed a change of pace and wanted to travel a bit more and took a job with... Um, uh, module driven technology is an amazing amazing company they're out of canada but they also have some u.s employees too and I, I traveled and did the matches and worked uh in marketing and pr and doing content creation and advising and still as i'm still contributing to all that and then uh run the sponsorship program and the teams and, and usually uh match directors are calling me trying to get uh some sponsorship swag thrown their way which is cool so i get a lot of uh, really cool phone calls and, and really good relationships out of that uh, all over the country uh, country and we have a really uh amazing group of shooters worldwide we we don't just uh we don't really just uh we, we vet a lot of our shooters so we we have a really good uh, relationship with them and they reflect mdt's values so that's pretty cool um but yeah that's that's in a nutshell what i've been doing with them for the past a little over two years wow okay where did the pr and media background come from like college not military like no no so i've always been into running a camera 
doing video work, uh, lots of, even though I'm, I don't really care for social media, I seem to know a whole lot about it. I hope uh, no one cares for social media, by the way. <laughs> I, you know, it, it's one of those hard things to kind of really keep up with. The people that are good at, good at it and have a huge following have invested a ton of time and energy. So just recognize that, that's for sure. Um, that's no, there's no joke how they get, they get the following that they do. Not over um, <laughs> yeah. So I, it, it all just kind of came together. Like I said, I started in marketing with a, with a just amazing gentleman who's, who's since passed on, uh, Rick Homie uh, at Legacy. He was just an amazing guy and mentor. And uh, yeah, he, he fostered me and taught me a lot about the industry and, and a bunch of connections. And it was really cool. Um, and then from there, you kind of learn how to walk the walk, talk the talk, and, and then wheel and deal in the marketing world and the firearms industry. Yeah. That's a lot of it. Um, and then I would say the biggest, um, the biggest thing that I've learned about marketing is not from the firearms industry. It's actually looking outwards and then talking to people in other realms, uh, consumer electronics, medical, all that different stuff to bring those ideas and what they're doing in is, is, is definitely the progressive way to go about it. It's pretty cool. Yeah. We just um, have to that's, that's a, that's a, yeah, that's, that's a topic for another time. Cause that's, that's, it's pretty mind blowing. <laughs> Awesome. But okay, going back to what you said, I think there's a lot of shooters and a lot of sponsored shooters um, that I feel like fit in a couple different categories. Maybe you can correct me where they're either that person that's like at the top of winning matches, right? So that's how they get recognized. Maybe they're really good at being a brand ambassador, influencer, affiliate. You know, then there's ones that really need to work on one of the two, or maybe they're the ones traveling. So what could maybe like shooters and sponsored shooters do to learn or, you know, do a little bit better on social media? Well, I, so there's been so many conversations with this and, and I, I got to be like upfront about the whole shooter thing and being recognized and, and getting support is you have to be a good person, respectable, have a very good, like you, you don't want to go anywhere and they go, Oh, that guy or that girl, you, you want to have a positive reputation and you want every single encounter you have, even if it's, if it's a, a negative situation to have a positive ending. So that's my biggest advice. Even though it, you may not agree with something, it, it might happen to match. It might happen in your personal life, it might have social media. Just leave it as, as professional and practical as possible because that'll go a long way because uh, that's a reputation that people always remember the bad. So um, I would start with that first before I really worry about, you know, topping national matches and stuff because your reputation has to carry you further than your, your match winnings. So that's huge. And, and when I say like uh, MDT as a whole has been very selectful um, on who they have represent them, it's because they want people that represent the brand and carry the values as the, as the company does. So that's huge. And, and as a shooter, if you're looking at a company to represent you, make sure that you align well with their values and what they were represent. Cause I have seen in the past shooters jump on teams and it has not worked out well yeah. for them because they just weren't the right fit or didn't align yeah. correctly. And it yeah. took a little bit for them to figure out. So uh, it's an investment on both ends. So it's, it's gotta be a win-win on both ends. Um, it does. Yeah, it does. And I think the piece of it too, I'm sure you get it because I, I represent a couple or do marketing for a couple of brands. How often do you get people that just want to try the product for free and be a sponsored shooter who has never bought it, doesn't believe in it, you know, knows nothing about it. Like, Hey, at least buy it first and make sure you actually would use it. You know, you know, you know, quite a bit, but it seems late as of late, that's really kind of uh, calmed down. Yeah. Um, it used to be a lot, I mean, past 10 years or so, shoot, getting emails like, Hey, I know X, Y, Z, give me some product and I'll, I'll test it. Or I'll give you my opinion. It's like, buddy, we, we did that five years ago and we're good. That's why we're selling it. Um, 
but it, it, not so much anymore. It's, it's uh, usually people buy into the companies now um, more than just a single product. So that's, that's what I've seen, which, which further helps the relationship. So that's awesome. Cool. So who, um, who taught you shoot guns? Was this military or was this prior? No. So my family, I mean, I wish I could say it was a family thing, but it's not. So my family is actually uh, a bunch of artists, musicians, and, and dabblers and tinkers of sorts. And uh, firearms wasn't a major thing growing up. And I didn't actually own my first firearm until I was 18, 19, mm-hmm. um, you know, get, just getting to college. So, and then I wanted to, to hunt and get into that. And then I found competitive shooting and then, oh boy, am I broke ever since. So, <laughs> um, so that's, that's kind of the progression the, the teaching how to shoot is, is, um, is kind of an, I don't know, I would say I, I was almost infatuated with it when I started shooting. I wanted to, to learn everything I could about it. And I, I kind of have tunnel, tunnel vision on things. So I fixate on something and I beat the crap out of it. Um, and that's just how my mind works. And I know several people that are like that. They just have to be good at something when they apply themselves to it. So they exhaust all efforts, whether it's physical efforts, monetary efforts, uh, or mental efforts. Uh, so it's kind of a combination. And that's how I rolled into it. Um, it's it's almost like an addictive personality it is it is people yeah. know that one i bring one person then you know a new match they're like oh i get it like, yeah i get it yeah <laughs> i've gotten that so many times and then people are like why are you trying so hard to drag me to a match and shoot i'm like because you're having fun now wait to see how much you ha- fun you have after today mm-hmm. like oh i get it yep yep so okay you said 18 years old did you buy your first gun or did someone give it to you and do you remember what it was? Uh, yeah, yeah. I I ended up uh, buying, man, this is a three fifty seven Colt Anaconda re- revolver because I thought that was the coolest thing I'd ever seen, and I paid way too much for it and ended up selling it for nothing. Mm. Um, and I had a forty four mag revolver after <laughs> that, and I had the worst taste in firearms. Younger. I love it. So yeah. Um, but actually, actually my first firearms, uh, when I was younger, uh, well, not younger, but when I was 18, 19, uh, were, were like 22 rifles and stuff, but I, I can't really count those as much. Yeah. Um, but the, the, the ones that really got me interested in actually only firearms were those, were those revolvers and they were absolutely That's just cool. terrible for a younger gun owner that was mm-hmm. working at Walmart at the time to try to feed. <laughs> just i'm trying to picture this <laughs> like yeah, yeah, yeah. why is this there's this you didn't have any supervision you know no no this is being young and and having a little bit of money in your pocket and going yeah i'll buy that mm-hmm. so that's terrible choices like i said i sold them all for way too cheap because i was because i didn't know yeah um but yeah um yep and then my prefer my first precision rifle i guess i don't mean, know i built a bunch of rifles my first dedicated builds were well into my late 20s so 27, 20, what, I don't know, 28, 29, I don't, whenever I finished uh, sniper school with my gift to myself to, to build my own first rifle. So I could say my first formal instruction of, of shooting was definitely um, in the military, formal, right? But you learn lots of things informally. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, as far as the long range stuff, yeah, definitely sniper school. I did, I did some lessons and learned for some people before I went um, to kind of get my head wrapped around what I was getting into. Um, but there was definitely drinking from fire hose and learning that, um, off a of PowerPoint and some very good instructors there. Thank God. 
That's cool. Oh. You're, you're a little bit deadly. Um, before we get into that too, I wanted to ask, are you kind of just this naturally talented shooter too? Mm, I, I wouldn't say that. I would say that um, everyone has a, a way of learning and applying. So maybe my way is a little bit more efficient at some things. I mean, there's, there's so like, I consider myself like better than the average Joe with a pistol, but man, I go to some of these larger pistol matches and I just get my ass handed to me. Yeah. I was like, damn, I thought I shot pretty well today. No, you didn't. Like, you need to go, to, <laughs> you need to, go yeah. to a school challenge match against the 12 year olds and 13 year olds. And then you just you get win. whooped. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, no, I, I've, I've done, I've dabbled in that. And I just remember like thinking I was hot stuff the first time I went to Barry Steel match. And I brought my limited gun, iron sights, and that was the wrong call. <laughs> I burned so much ammo. I was like, oh, I'm doing so good. And then I get the scores. I'm like, I'm terrible. terrible. Did you reload? Did you have to reload on a string of oh, five? All the time. Also, I even brought some 170 sticks too. And it just like, you burn through so much ammo. It's ridiculous. And you think you're shooting really fast. And you're just like, the buzzer goes off. Did you hit part-time? You still have like half the steel left up. You're like, wow. Like that, but that's kind of humbling. Um, but no, I shot, I shot and traveled quite a bit doing the, the USPSA stuff and multi-gun. And like I said, I thought I was pretty good with the pistol, but no, you gotta be able to be humbled a little bit to know your place in, in line. So, and, and uh, I don't get out as much anymore, maybe once every couple of months to shoot a USPSA match at the most. Um, but like out today, I was practicing with my service weapon, M17. I burned through 300 rounds in about an hour just to get um, my wits back about me. So I'm not totally screwed when I go to Arkansas. So, um, yeah, that was, that was the day. You don't pay for ammo, do you? No, I load it. Okay. But do you pay for the loaded components? Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah that's, yeah. that's something I still, I still have to hunt for. Uh, there's very few people that, that are gifted with that. Yeah. In the <laughs> They're very lucky people. <laughs> yeah, they are. Um, okay. So what did you love about like the USBSA and multi-gun, all of those sports? Um, did you accomplish anything, you know, in those before moving into the rifle? Uh, so the biggest thing I learned about that is efficiency. Mm-hmm. Um, really like that was what I picked up, like uh, the mental part of it, like how to deal with the timer shock and, and you know, the, the, the brain dump from the timer and then just how to be efficient in everything you do. And that, because that's a whole game is just efficiency efficiency and accuracy right but it's it's where you win is is you're you're super efficient you're more efficient getting the points than anybody else so that's that's what I picked up um you know I I won a few local matches here and there and and place high in division stuff I mean nothing too over the top though I mean I didn't pursue it as hard as I have been the rifle stuff yeah so so no I I you know I I do love it I do enjoy doing it I do really enjoy the people yeah but I, I got to say, and I, I think we're going to touch on that later, at least I'd like to, about the people aspect of it, because I, I didn't, I have met and, and retained some really good friends through the USPSA and multi-gun community, so, um, but, but they're a different type of folks, too, like, I, I, every discipline I've gone and dabbled in, oh, yeah. it seems like there's some similarities, and there's some vast differences, so. I think you should go and roll up to an IDPA match with your revolver. <laughs> oh, I don't even own a revolver. I I've had so many of them. <laughs> And I thought they were cool, but that was definitely like 15 years ago. So I would pay to watch that though. <laughs> oh God. I don't even own a fishing vest, so I can't, I can't do it. Horrible. I'm already on. <laughs> so I'm not like IDPA guys, but I just, it ain't my cup of tea. Yeah, no, I, I think it's interesting that USPSA can draw from concealment, but IDPA can't like, yeah, it's, it, it's really weird. 
Yeah. I, I don't even understand all of it. I, I do know that locally years back they they started a like carbine idpa style match okay and i went and did that and didn't follow any of their rules and still like cleaned up so awesome. it was just kind of a weird thing like whole reload from cover and only shooting the certain th- i just blazed everything like multi-gun style oh yeah they hate that um <laughs> yeah frowned upon that's all, absolutely okay so i kind of dabbled in it recently and we've got a club here You've done NRL 22 and then you've match directed as well. Like how did, I don't even know when NRL 22 started. Like, can you speak to what that is if people are listening? Yeah. So I have actually, um, from the inception of NRL and I, and I love Travis and Tyler and Scott. Um, those, so Travis Ishida is the president of the national rifle league. Then you have, uh, uh, Tyler Frainer who is the president um, and the originator of NRL 22. Um, so I've been, I've been kind of involved with those great folks um, since it started and heavily involved in NRL uh, big matches. And then also the NRL 22. Um, I run a local NRL 22. I've got an NRL borders match, like regional match that I'm doing next month. And then uh, I've shot, I don't know how many NRL two day matches all over the country. <laughs> um, but great organization. And it started just as a way to get people into the precision rifle world who may only have access to a hundred yard range. Yeah. So yeah. that's really how it started, you know, from my understanding, but, um, I've been shooting that for since it started, which has been three, four years now. It's three. been a while. Yeah. And it's amazing. That's, that's a very large, um, segment of rifle shooting now is, is the rimfire stuff. And you have people that are just dedicated to just doing rimfire. It's, it's nuts. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, it's 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 definitely um, a different beast. Um, it, it's it's fun. It's like precision rifle matches, but it's kind of different in a way because uh, the ammunition, the rifles, and stuff is a little bit different, and <laughs> the target and things you have to do. It's just it's a little bit different. And if anybody is trying to get into NRL 22 to save money on stuff, it doesn't last long. You end up using the cheap stuff like once, and then you're hunting down center X ammo for 12 bucks for a box of 50 on the cheap end and then you know throwing uh, together an extensive rifle build so which are um, disgusting when i found out those prices for a 22 yeah. <laughs> that's, that's that's the the conception of is 22 is cheap well i'm telling you it's not really that cheap when you start getting into these match builds so um and i've got friends that have the anschutz rifles that were very expensive and throwing night force attackers and uh, loophole mark fives and stuff on them um, and expensive scopes and i've seen tangent thetas on there that are three four thousand dollars on top of the 22 so mm. it's uh it's a different world for sure oh gross so gross okay but i just the the money aspect it's like go ahead and just go into the big boy <laughs> precision rifle league <laughs> yeah well i've got i've got a pretty high-end um 22 build but it's because i enjoy it so much and I, i've kind of matched it up to kind of be like my center fire rifles so when I pick it up and shoot it, it kind of feels the same. It's not the same because it's 22, but uh, it kind of feels the same and, and I feel at home on it. So yeah. Um, yeah. And then running the 22 matches is super fun. Get a lot of new shooters. I, I have uh, loaner rifles and ammo that I bring to all the matches. And wow. there's a lot of match directors that do the same thing to try to grow it because that the biggest uh, entry barrier that you have to this the, the rifle world is, is the ammunition and the equipment. This is so expensive. Yes. And, and I'm never going to tell someone there's two things I'm never going to tell someone that about precision rifle. It's not cheap and it's not easy. Like those are two, I'm not going to say it's easy or cheap ever. Like it's, oh. it's not. Mm-hmm. So you have to know that going in. Um, 
if you think you're just going to pick up a rifle and then hold center on everything and <laughs> never learn anything, you're not going to hit anything. So it's, you have to do, you have to do your due diligence on that. You can't just show up and like, I'm going to have a good day and win today. That's yep. doesn't work that way. No, um, no. I think, but, that... but, oh, go ahead. Um, but run, like I said, running the matches uh, is super fun. I, I, I've run, I've run everything from, um, you know, occasional USPSA match to, to three gun to um, the NL22 and the centerfire stuff, some gas gun precision rifle matches I've been running up here in Reno. So, um, I, you know, that's one thing I, I can't advocate enough. If you're a good shooter and you have a good reputation uh, in your, your local area, I would say step up and either help run matches or run a match. You will gain a new perspective on what's going on. Yep. And it'll actually help your game a little bit because you'll start understanding how the hows and whys of, of, of the stuff. So um, that's, that's a huge thing to do is step up and become more involved. And the people need you. The other math directors need you. Uh, so that's, that's, my, that's my little piece of advice to anybody who's experienced. <laughs> I like it. Little legacy. You know, it does take a team yep. and uh, you need to pass it on because there's a lot. I mean, even ROing, calling hits, yeah, learning the tablets. I don't know why people are so fearful of touching things. <laughs> so, so that's the funny part in the precision rifle world. It's literally two buttons. It says hit yep, or miss, and it, that's it. It's hit, miss, and approve. Like that is it. I know. That's it. Like there's no complicated anything to it. But I don't <laughs> think that anybody listening to this podcast is going to be the ones that we're talking about. So yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> take the time and show someone how to do it for sure. Yeah, it's really easy. Okay, so the moment we're all been waiting for. <laughs> How did you end up finding your way into precision rifle shooting? So through uh, the army and sniper school and going through all that and figuring out like, oh, this is how this is supposed to work. No, no, just like guessing how all this comes together and works and how we put a little piece of lead and copper on a piece of steel, you know, hundreds of yards away. Like, how does this actually work? Well, there's, there's math and everything. It's actually not as complicated as you think it is and then taking some private instruction here and there from really good people and just lots of networking and finding local matches uh local matches are huge um that's what i would tell anybody to do when they're getting this is find some local matches and just show up and shoot the match and learn and ask questions and hop on the struggle bus until you start getting it figured out and you'll be fine you'll enjoy it um and then uh also hunting um I wanted to be a better rifle shooter for hunting because I think I owed it to the animal. Yeah. So, and that was one of my bigger pet peeves in the, in the firearms industry is that, that anti-mentality of, of just hold six inches over the deer's back. So uh, yeah, that's, that's, pretty much, that's pretty much what led me into it. Um, just training, learning how to use rifle, having the gear, and then finding local matches to do and just failing miserably and humbling, humbling myself until I could get it figured out. It takes a while for any, for anything. You're not going to be able to, yeah. Yeah. Investment. Um, have you ever bow hunted by the way? Yep. Okay. Yep. Okay. That's yep. And in the Midwest as well as Nevada. And I'll tell you that, uh, bow hunting here is not as fun. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, a lot of, uh, it's when your success rate is in the single digit percentages, it's pretty tough. So uh, let's just say I have a nice bow. I don't use it much. I was oh. actually up helping a friend with his archery tag this last weekend in a little town and a little mountain with not much habitat, but we were running the bucks, the bucks everywhere. Just couldn't, couldn't steal a deal. So Dang. it is what it is. 
What about like elk tags out there? Few and far between. If you yeah. can get an elk tag every 10 years, you're doing better than everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Digressed. <laughs> so for precision <laughs> rifle, like, you know, how most people, they shoot a different, couple different things and they find their thing. Like what made you just fall in love with precision rifle shooting? You know, is it the math? Is it the ballistics? Is it the people? Like what was, what was that moment where you're like, oh, I love this. Every aspect of it is difficult. Every aspect. Um, you know, you, your, your equipment has to be solid. The ammunition you're shooting has to be very good. The other support equipment you're using has to be good. You have to be good with it. There's so much into it before you even send around. Um, that's what keeps me coming back is that continued challenge. And then every time you go out is different. Mm -hmm. It's different conditions. You can go to shoot the same sub-target, same range a day for a week, and it's going to be different. It's going to give you something that's just a little bit different that you have to figure out every time. And it's constantly changing. Shot to shot, it's changing. So you have to be very in tune with what, everything that's going on to be successful. And by successful, I mean putting that bullet where you want it. Um, so that I think that's, that what's in, that's what entertains me and keeps me um, into it. And then uh, the whole process of load development and making sure your gear squared, squared away so you can, you can send that bullet where you need to is, is, is pretty cool too. It's an ongoing thing. Uh, loading ammo, load development, can make, uh, you know, keep track of barrels and, and all that. Um, that's, it's pretty cool because it's an ongoing hobby. You, you don't just stick it in the corner until the next match. No, you're, you're working on everything before your next match if you want to be successful. So that's, I think that's what entertains me the most is that constant, that constant uh, attention you have to give it. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say my, um, NRL 22 experience, um, I shoot tack ops in three guns. So, um, all the bags and things was the worst part of it. So I've got this thing strapped here and this thing here. And I was like, this is too much. And then the bipod and like, you just, there's too many gadgets and gadgets for me. So, so yes. Uh, but the good thing about NRL 22 is, is it's one bag. Uh, usually <laughs> Not anymore. Like, yeah, it's true. Uh, everyone uses like a game changer, a fortune cookie or, or whatever other brand you want to use. That's some sort of positional and then rear bag it's come to use. But if you get really good at just running your rifle, the bipod in one bag, and that's all you need, Simplify. that, that can solve 99% of the stage problems that you're going to encounter between those two things, a bipod and a bag. That's, mm -hmm. that's really all you need. And I run a, a one bag match every now, now and then that's okay. just like, I only let shooters use the one bag yeah. and their bipod because the bipod's considered part of the rifle and that's all they get. They don't get tripods. They don't get pillows. They don't get anything else. Like this is what you have. And I've written these stages. So you don't need anything more than that. So yeah. figure out how to be efficient with that one bag. So, um, and th that's a lot of, um, it's a pretty big misconception too, is people think they need to have all these bags. And I've been down that road. I was that guy at one point years back and it definitely isn't that way. And I find myself just taking a medium game changer and my rifle with a bipod on it to a match. And that's all I need. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. There's very few circumstances where you're going to have to use anything else. So um, that's, that would be something to focus on. Just get really good with that one bag and a bipod and you'd, you'd be solid. You'd be yeah. solid. Are you, like, simple. are you like me where you have like a, I'm not going to point to it, but like a drawer full of bags and stuff that you never use. <laughs> Just right under my bench right here. I've got bins full of stuff. Bins. I know. I know. Holsters, mag pouches, caddies, yep. they can work out. Just, they're there. 
yep no i've got tons of stuff over the years and i am kind of a hoarder and but everybody else gets use out of my extra stuff so i don't feel bad about it yeah okay so a lot of people too they think that yeah a lot of success comes overnight um but uh, all of us as shooters know that that's not true so can you tell us how your first shooting competition and precision rifle went so it was a local match here in reno and I showed up and I, and I kind of had an idea of what was going on. I'd practiced some, I'd watched a ton of videos and stuff that I could find on YouTube. Cause I do a ton of research beforehand. So I kind of understood how to lay my data out and how to manage those numbers. And I already had a Kestrel. I know how to use that. I had numbers that were lining up and like, I was pretty solid on my gear and my ammunition rifle was good to go. I had a solid zero. Um, I didn't do too terribly bad, but I, I didn't know what I didn't know. So going into this, I, I went in with low expectations. I didn't do bad. I, I was top half of the field locally. And then I, I just went, you know, I'm going to do this and I'm going to see what I need to get out of this um, and just remember my fundamentals and, and go back to the roots um, and then just try to hit everything I aim at uh, rather than trying to speed through the stages and, and get all my rounds off. And it, and it paid off. Um, but I remember leaving that match with, with my head held high. I didn't, I didn't, you know, I didn't have any oh shit moments or anything like that so i mean these things happen where you can't control it you have malfunctions whatever but that, that wasn't that uh, luckily i've always had good gear um and i will say this is something i learned from multi-gun too having gear that runs is half the battle is more no, than half the 90 percent yeah <laughs> yeah you'll beat half the people that show up just if your gear runs so um that's that's just a, that's a truth um so yeah and then my first national competition was an NRL match uh, in Washington in the JC Steel Challenge um, that Jake Vibbert ran. Oh, he still runs that match, but um, that was amazing. That was like, oh my, because it was way different, a way different atmosphere than the bigger USPSA and um, multi-gun matches. Like it was just way different. The atmosphere was totally different. A uh, little bit more laid back, a little bit more of an, you're an adult mm. atmosphere, you know? everyone's carrying their rifles around they're all unloaded bolts back like everyone's having a good time you just you're a big boy you set your rifle down yeah yeah big boy rules and and it was really refreshing no one had to hold your hand like safety was safety was on everybody um you know not much direction was given you were given the little booklet with with the stage (laughs) numbers and like hey go there that's your stage and walk along do them in order and and okay. there's the target distances and figure it out, man, you're wow. an adult. And that was amazing. And I didn't do too bad either. I think I scored like 27th out of a couple hundred of that one. You are not. Yeah, I, I, I did. I did pretty well at that match. And um, I, I came, came back home just ex- elated. Like it, it just like, okay, I can do this. Mm-hmm. So, and then, and then I, I get to the point after that of like, wow, I don't know as much as I thought I did. So um that's how I and feel every single this, day in this industry, by the way. Like I know quite a bit and I know nothing. <laughs> yeah. And, and you definitely have to learn how to be humble um, when you're, when you're doing all these. And then, and then you realize that like, it's that, that whole progression curve, right? Like at the start, you progress like crazy. And then all of a sudden it tapers off and you're progressing a very minute amount after that. You have to be able to kind of recognize where you're at with all that, or you call it quits. Um, so yeah, no, that the, the path, through the matches and stuff and competing is awesome but you have to want to compete yeah. uh you have to be that person but i'm also uh, the guy at the matches that's joking around and 
wanting to socialize and talk to everybody. So I know those competitors are out there that are just lockstep on everything that's in front of them and they don't talk to anybody. And, and that's not me. Um, yeah. that's never been. We need jokes. If there's not, I was gonna say, if there's not shit talking or some sort of laughing, then it's like horrible for me. <laughs> there's gotta be, sh- there's gotta be shit talking and Sour Patch Kids in my squad. That's it. Oh, oh okay. Pickles. Like- pickles. I, I'm, I'm okay with pickles. Okay. I think Texas has a thing for pickles at matches. That's what I've noticed. Them. I bring them to every single match. Um, in fact, uh, <laughs> Double Star, they showed up to a three gun match with one of those Sam's Club giant jars of pickles. That's cool. It's <laughs> like, thank y'all. <laughs> Um, I digress. Okay. Going back to your first shooting experience, I want you to just speak to the newbies. So can you give them like the expectations of what they should go into their new match? Like thinking like realistically, realistically, um, have a realistic goal of, Hey, I'm going to place in the top half. Mm -hmm. Hey, I'm going to do the best I can. Hey, I'm going to hit everything I aim at. If I time out on stages, oh, well, Mm -hmm. um, if I have a question, I'm going to ask it. Um, you know, not to the point where you're taking away from another competitor's performance or time, but there's an appropriate time and place to ask questions and, and get stuff sorted out. And in the rifle world is much like the um, much like the the USPSA and multi-gun world where um, if someone's struggling, someone's turned around and like, hey, man, what's going on? What can I help you with? How can I straighten this out so you're having a better time? So that's still it's still a common theme. Um, but I mean, I offer so much other shoes like, Hey, if you want to borrow my stuff, if you need help with something, Hey, can I, you know, give you some pointers afterwards? Like, Hey, can I help you work through this problem? Um, and, and I would just say, Hey, if, if an experienced shooter turns around and wants to give you some sort of advice, at least hear them out, whether you let it stick or not is obviously up to you, but at least hear them out. Um, and, and, and be humble enough to accept like, Hey, I don't know what I don't know. So, um, and like I said, ask those questions I, I get kind of bummed when new shooters don't ask questions. They come to like a local match or a regional match or something. And, and they, they obviously, they want to be good. They want, they, they obviously enjoy it. They want to be there and they don't ask any questions where they could benefit from that. That it will carry them forward. Cause there's some shortcuts and stuff that you can pick up from very good shooters. Just like all the other disciplines, all you have to do is talk to them, <laughs> pay them money, not anything. It's all part of the experience. The learning curve would be cut in half of a lot of people. People would just ask questions. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's it. And seek out information on their own. I, I think that's a lot of it in the rifle world is, is people um, don't seek out vetted information. And, and I don't mean going to the Facebook long range shooters group and asking a bunch of people that don't really know what they're doing. The question you need answered. Mm-hmm. Definitely seek out the names that know that they're doing and shoot them a message and you'd be really surprised to find that they're very nice and they'll help you and they will answer your question with the least amount of words possible um which is is actually a very good sign um when you've got somebody that will answer your question in a few words and it makes sense yeah so but if they fire back with you need a 300 win mag then i would definitely say don't don't ask that question (laughs) which we'll get into (laughs) that's awesome Okay. So for you, um, did you hit a plateau? And like, uh, if you did, you know, what did you do to get out of that? Uh, yeah, I hit plateaus every match, like not one, like a specific time period, you know, you get to that point where it's like, I know what I'm seeing. I know what I'm doing. You know, I'm just going to blatantly ignore what's actually happening in front of me because my ego gets in the way. And that's, 
if you're able to identify those, you'll, you'll get, you'll get past it. I posted videos on, on Instagram, just burning myself just to the ground of, of like, Hey idiot, like this happened and you just totally disregard it and it cost you. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I think, I think those moments actually happen every time you go out. Yeah. Like every time, like today practice on my pistol, I'm like 25 yards on a full size dipstick and I cannot shoot a group of the center of this damn thing. And I'm throwing shots off the left side. I'm just like, why, what is going on? What am I doing wrong? So after 150 rounds, I figured out, Hey dummy, you're barely hanging onto the pistol. Why don't you squeeze a little tighter? And, uh, yep, that fixed it, but it took a ton of rounds for that to happen. Um, (laughs) But I would say that that would, that would be it. Yeah. yeah. And I think when people do that, um, on a side note, like when you're training and you're going through 150 rounds and 150 rounds of those are like the, not the right process, you're training yourself and training your subconscious to do that incorrectly. So, you know, you shouldn't be training something that's going to be a bad habit. You should literally stop yourself, fix it or come back another day, you know? Yep. Um, and, and with the rifle world, it's, it's something I tell a lot of people when they're getting into it is don't send that same mistake twice, mm-hmm. believe what's going on and make a correction and, and send the appropriate answer. So you have to be able to slow yourself down enough to recognize, Hey, that wasn't right. What's right. Let's do that. Um, because I see a lot of people churn in dirt, sign of targets because they ignore the wind or what's actually going on with that bullet. And it just takes it right away. And you'll remember this if you shoot another NL22 match. Like, I've missed four times off the right side of the target. Barely. And I don't know why. Well, did you make a correction? No. No, I didn't. Oh, so you just expected it to go right. Like, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) My problem, well, maybe not, is that I focus so well on the left side without wasted time. So I might be a lefty, not really. But I think it just, you know, you focus harder. (laughs) Oh, shooting uh, non-dominant. Yeah, oh. so I'm like, miss, miss, and then switch to the other shoulder, hit, 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 and then go back. Yeah, you're taking, like, it's because you're taking that extra little bit of time to make sure everything's good to go, because you're taking that side seriously, because you're more uncomfortable on that side. That's <laughs> so what happens. Frustrating. Yeah, I know. <laughs> first time, though, first time, I knew I was going to suck, you know, expect a timeout, like you said. I try to get my hits as much as possible, and like, know my limits, too. There's like a bonus stage, and I'm just like, okay, I got two points, let me just walk away. <laughs> That's the gambler's curse. Yes. Well, because someone when he got six hits and he took him took himself back down to zero, he would have won the match. Yep. So. Yep. No, your limit. That happens. Yeah. Yeah, and sometimes if your limit's one, it's one. You got to know where that is. Yeah. Um, okay, so I want to focus on the process of like a new shooter coming in um, and all of the things they need to know to, like we said, lower the learning curve. Um, so let's start. What do you recommend the first thing someone should do if they are interested in shooting precision rifle? Uh, don't have to do it. So there's this conception where like I can bring my hunting rifle and I'm going to get by and I'm going to say if you're serious about doing it, buy the very best equipment that you can because you will it will carry you further. Because if you show up with your hunting rifle that has a three round internal magazine and you're top loading, you're going to have a bad time. Yeah. Um, so like a lot, a lot of times, like I tell people that are kind of like, yeah, I got this, that, that was a, well, do you have a 223 bolt gun that can take a mag? Well, yeah, I got that. Well, load some heavies and, and shoot 223. I mean, you're going to have a good time. Mm-hmm. Um, and you'll, you'll actually learn about what's going on and recoil won't build, uh, you know, beat you up. Um, but buy the very best equipment that you can and, and definitely seek out some training. And, and there's tons of people that offer good training. I don't have to listen to any of them, but, um, and then 
and then go to those local matches for sure. But make when you go to those local matches and you've got decent gear, make sure everything's squared away. Everything's tight. You've got a good zero. for So for 22 LR, I, I do 50 yard zero. For center fire, it's always 100 yards. Make sure you've got a very solid um, a very solid zero. Talk to the match director beforehand. Ask them questions. See if they'll let you pair up with somebody that will kind of help you along. You'd be surprised. No one asks these questions to the match directors. It's so easy. You just send them an email when you sign up like, hey, I'm brand. Let them know. I don't let them know the day of because then it's like kind of too late. They can't really do much for you rather than other than kind of sticking you in a squad that might have some people that are friendly. Um, I, that's that's pretty much it, right? So, so and, and then if I get those emails as a match director, I'm firing back with like, hey, what do you got for gear? What are you running? What do you need? What, you know, what are your expe- expectations? What do you not know? What can we help with um, come match there beforehand? So I think you it, need it's, a checklist. I think you need to make a PDF, by the way. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot to it. But I would say just ask questions, ask those questions, um, talk to the match directors um, and, and just, you know, but don't have to do it. Don't, like I said, if you want to run a gas gun at one of the, if you're trying to be a crossover shooter, like I've had, um, if you want to run a gas gun, just make sure you've got an optic that's appropriate and enough of the same lot of ammo. This is huge. The same ammo for the entire course of fire. I have so many people that show up with, with, you know 20 rounds of this 40 rounds of this and then 10 rounds of this and you're like well bud this is not going to work out well um so just make sure if you've got an 80 round match bring 100 rounds of the same ammo that's that's my advice it's like a little bit hard this year that i was thinking about it like poor poor three owners my friend patrick i don't think he listens to this but he would pick up all the shotgun shells from people on the shotgun runs and literally at the end of the day he would put it all in his vest be like blue white red green <laughs> <laughs> we used to do that a lot just shoot them at the end of the day but yeah, yeah. no at a major match yeah. this is like you know <laughs> you cannot do that with rifle oh, let me tell I you know. you no. you will get some not good results if you do that <laughs> too funny um okay you mentioned this at the beginning do you want to talk a little bit about uh the community what is the community like uh in precision rifle i've never been to i don't think any of those matches yet so um it, it can, you know, it mirrors a lot. They're, they're, it can be a little clicky, um, but if you just break the ice, tell people you're a new shooter, um, you know, as, if you're getting to this, uh, you're going to a new area. I've traveled so many states and shot. Um, I, I'm well over 20 some odd states to go shoot matches. Yep. Um, and you, you meet new people every step of the way. And when I travel, I do like to squad with one or two people that I, that I know from the area just because yeah. I want to hang out with them. But for the most part, I don't care where I land. Throw mm-hmm. me in a squad. I will hang out and, and shoot the shit with anybody. Um, but the, it's really relaxed. Like I said, big boy rules. Um, they're going to give you a safety brief, just like every any other match you go to. Um, they're going to tell you what they expect. And then it's it's you're on your own. And some some matches will not have you share wind and dope and, and corrections stuff like that. some it's squad mentality and you're working with a squad to kind of solve a problem that it kind of goes both ways um so it's is what it is but the squad you're, you're pretty tight you do stay together you have your shooting order it's it's like any other sort of match um the one thing you won't see a lot of is sharing rifles now um it's been my experience barrel stuff right like and you're in well and ammunition you only bring so much and you can't overheat the guns yeah so 
I bring like when I travel, I bring just enough ammo to complete the match and some extra rounds just as oh shit rounds. I don't bring another hundred rounds. I don't bring another rifle. I don't do any of that. So you don't there's have a backup rifle? No, it's not a thing for me at least. What? No. Okay, you would hate to hear this. I'm 30 gun Kenzie. So I bring <laughs> <laughs> none of my shit now. No, uh, I've got I've got a friend, uh, a very good friend, Mr. Josh Bluff. He's the VP of sales for HS Precision Rifles. If he drives to a match, he drives the work truck, and there, I can't disclose. I know. Let's just say, let's just say, he brings a, a party. Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah. You have to. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Not I, it, it's amazing. But no, I bring, I bring, if I drive, I have one rifle and some, some extra small gear and stuff if somebody needs anything. Usually some, some extra MDT stuff, uh, extra loop hold scope. Um, you know, in case anybody wants to check stuff out, magazines, always bring extra magazines. Um, so I bring and I bring demo gear and stuff for matches for people to play with because they'll always say, hey, hey, one back, you got you got this new thing? You got it out yet? You got a prototype? Like, yeah, man, I got one in the truck. Let's go check it out. So uh, that's that's usually what I do. I don't bring backup stuff. I just don't. <laughs> I don't. You know, I'm not going to jinx you. You have great stuff. But the other day, you're going to be like, hey, Kenzie, I should have brought it back up. <laughs> It'll happen one day. <laughs> well, I mean, it has. I've had rifles go down in the past it happens it's part of the game bring two so no <laughs> so so my my main rifle weighs about 22 pounds mm -hmm. if i add in another rifle mm -hmm. guess what so the the thing is ammo does not go back and forth between other rifles yeah yeah they're always slightly different so i i don't i wouldn't bring two different rifles because i would have to bring double the ammo and and traveling with that much ammunition is a huge pain Ah, okay, that's true. Fine, fine, fine. And it weighs a lot. So if you're yeah. flying on a, an airline that has the 11 pound limit, yeah, you reach that pretty quickly with most center fire cartridges. Yeah, yeah. and your gun, <laughs> one gun case, probably 30 pounds. <laughs> Over that, yeah. Yeah. I think about 50. Yeah, about 50 wow. pounds. Well, I've been mm -hmm. reading a lot um, also with the, the community like is changing a little bit where it's more female friendly. There's a lot more females getting into precision rifle series. There's not as much movement. Um, have you seen that like demographic grow? Um, you know, I, I haven't seen too many female shooters just jump in by themselves. It's usually they have someone that brings them in, whether it's a family member, a spouse or a boyfriend or something. It's usually that. Um, I mean, there's one great female shooter that I know that, that jumped into it kind of by herself and she's, she's awesome. Marshawn, um, she's out of Washington. Uh, she's amazing. Um, but she, she jumped in, it seemed like by herself, but usually everybody else has got a spouse or somebody that's, that's tied into the rifle world. And that's, that's how they get into it. I do see quite a bit of female shooters all over the country, you know, even more, I would say there's, there's probably more female shooters in the rifle world, especially especially well-known ones, um, than the other disciplines. Yeah. The other mainstream disciplines, I should say. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, but it's still not a huge number. It's not as many as it should be. I know. Because, uh, and I will say this straight out, um, when I go work with females um, and, and help train them and coach them through matches and stuff, I enjoy working with females far more than I enjoy working with males. I'm an instructor they, as well. That's 100% across the board. I, they, they don't have they don't have egos that get in the way they like to ask questions um but i will say the negative thing is they need instant gratification 
Yeah, like, Jesus. They have to know. have that result straight out. <sighs> and when they have that result straight out, they're like, whoa, yes, I'm in it. And if they don't, it takes a little while. They kind of, all right, you're losing me. Um, but it's very, very apparent when that happens. But yeah. You have to set that expectations. Again, though, it's like, hey, this is not overnight. You're going to have to learn wind and ammo and loading and your gun and chrono yeah. and data and Kestrel and wind and keep going. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But um, once, once you can help them with that and then kind of the numbers thing with a shooter, you can help them manage that. Um, you obviously can't pull the trigger for them, but you can help them with the mental end of it. Um, and then sh- show them how to do things and let them feel, you know, get the feel for it. Show them what right looks like, how to manage that data, and they work into it. And at least a newer shooter or even a newer female shooter, doesn't matter, um, they get in and they can at least get half the rounds off on a stage. So that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, it's, it's, but I think there should be more females. Junior shooters, on the other hand, that's that's a different story. Juniors with centerfire rifles a little more difficult. Some some smaller juniors, I mean, they really have a problem pulling a heavy rifle around. There's some that uh, do an amazing job. Yeah. Um, and and but getting you know the smaller ones in there, it's it's a little tougher. But we do have parents that bring you know eight ten year olds, eight ten twelves to the NRL twenty two, and they they help them with the positions and stuff, and they're allowed to coach them on the clock and everything, and help them out. So cool. that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. But even that's tough because you got to keep that kid's interest all day, which is very hard. That's very hard. Yeah. And some adults. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when it's not going their way. No. <laughs> okay. So say someone is going to their very first match. I mean, obviously they're probably gonna need some coaching mentorship or whatever, but first match, what is like the minimum necessary tools, gear that someone needs to go out and shoot a match? They're on their okay. own. Yeah. Okay, and I've actually written a couple articles on this, but it's changed. I mean, my opinion on this has changed over the years. So I would say minimum, you need a cell phone with a ballistic app that you actually know how to use. Don't just, I have an app and it spits out numbers. Um, data for that rifle with that ammunition, that's huge. So not just what the app spits out, but what your bullet actually impacts. And I would say you shoot the very farthest you can to get actual data, write it down. Um, your rifle, a bipod, a good first focal plane optic that's over 15 power, okay, will help you a lot. Yeah. Um, uh, good solid bipod, I said bipod, but a solid one, not just a uh, cheap $30 Chinese one, because uh, they'll break on you. Mm-hmm. Um, just one decent bag, uh, whatever you can afford as far as like, like I said, a, a fortune cookie yep. or game changer, something like that. Um, size. <laughs> a backpack. And like I said, enough of enough ammo of a single lot to last you the entire day or the entire weekend, whatever you're shooting, whether it's rimfire or centerfire, um, that will make your life a lot easier. A lot of shooters, if they have good, if you have good data, drop data, you're you're good because that's that's pretty consistent. It's only ever going to change plus or minus a tenth, you know, within reason, if it's going to change. So that's then we can call that a pretty much a constant. Your drop. What's the biggest variable? is the wind. Mm-hmm. So all day you should be focused on the wind and how to hit the target with the proper wind call for the distance and dealing with target size. You shouldn't have to fight drop data. You shouldn't have to figure that out as well. Because if you're figuring out these two variables with your data, you are gonna be miserable. You're gonna be absolutely miserable. You're gonna fight the entire way. And you're just gonna get super frustrated by the end of the day. You're like, I don't understand. I don't know why. But if you have your drop data figured out, it's one less thing. 
Yeah. And it requires a minimal, a minimal amount of tweaking. Once you have solid numbers, say to eight, 9,000 yards, and that's usually um, a good working range and in, and you've got your ballistic solver. That's basically your memory piece to spit out the distances in between. Um, and it all lines up. And then all I'm worrying about is wind left and right. And I've got my data for a target and my, I'm holding wind and I'm seeing what that wind's doing and I'm correcting to it. And away we go and we're hitting targets. <laughs> away we go. Um, the other thing that people probably don't know, and it is obvious, I guess, in our world, but you're rifling, like, is it to the right? Is it to the left? Are all of them consistently in precision rifle to the right or? Like yeah, yeah. I'd say 99% of the barrels that are used are right-hand twist. Uh, Bartland barrels is the only one I know. Uh, maybe Sean, I don't, I'm going to say to my knowledge, the only one that's doing left-hand, uh, left-hand twist or any sort of gain twist. A gain twist is, um, as a slower rifling start to a faster so it gains that twist down the barrel uh i think there's only one or two companies that are actually doing that not common everything i use is um everything that i use is is just right hand twist um and either four or six groups so cool. it's pretty standard okay is barreling standard as well in this game uh so that is kind of dependent on the cartridge okay so there's these little kind of um I don't know, caliber cartridge factions. Um, they all come up with a certain kind of formula that works um, based on everybody's experience. But usually you're hard pressed to find barrels that are shorter than 24 inch and standard bolt and match. Okay. Um, and then you have some of the R cartridges that are people are running 26, 28, 30 inch barrels, but that's that's their cup of tea. That's <laughs> that's that's what they do. I normally everything I shoot is 24 inch just out of simplicity and for the sake of my gunsmith. Um, so I just, I tell him one thing and because, so six, five Creed, six by 47, the two, the two twenty three is like the, everything's just a 24 inch, bam, 20, 20, 24 inch. And whatever load I come up with is the, is the velocity it spits out. And I just deal with that. It doesn't matter. I don't chase numbers. I don't, um, and the experienced shooters will not go chasing speed to gain any sort of, um, performance advantage. Um, that's, that, that's pretty common misconception that you need the biggest, fastest, Right. thing on the planet to give you some sort of edge and that's just not it yes on paper it looks good but it just doesn't do you any good for load stability uh consistency or, or recoil for that matter you'll see a lot of these shooters that are shooting these matches are shooting little br cartridges that uh, don't have any recoil but they're shooting very efficient heavier six millimeter bullets um at a pretty moderate speed mm -hmm. you know nothing that's blisteringly fast just because uh they can catch it a little bit more in flight and the recoil is not going to push them off target when they when they send that round even in awkward positions so that's that's really the way the game has progressed years ago um it used to be you know heavy fast six millimeters and six fives like pushing that 3200 uh, feet per second um threshold and now most majority of of the top shooters are shooting six millimeters uh, above 100 and I want to say 105 grain bullet at around 20, 2800, 2900. You know, that's the sweet spot generally for those. And there's yeah. a myriad of different cartridges that accomplish that. Um, mm -hmm. So, but that's just, the, that's the trend right now. So it's good to know again, new, there's a lot to it, Yeah. but the majority of shooters um, at club matches and stuff are, are are really trying to find something off the shelf that they can make to shoot well. And, and honestly, like I shoot and I, I've shot and I still shoot a ton of six, six, five Creedmoor. And, um, I did get to spend one summer when I was doing some officer training in Portland, Missouri, one summer with the, uh, 
the Missouri folks and uh, shot five months. And there was, there was a match every weekend, sometimes two matches in that state within a couple hours drive from Fort Leonard Wood. And it was amazing. Made lots of great friends. The most series is, is I'm going to put it up there is like the best state series, local series in the country. Uh, that one, that one's amazing. And the people are amazing. Match directors are amazing. If you're in Missouri, around Missouri, you have a gem there. It's, it's just stellar. Um, but I shot nothing but factory 465 Creedmoor 140 grain. And I shot amazingly well with it well, okay. my my version of amazingly well sure um but uh that whole time i was there i never won a match though i got second place a whole uh. lot of times but due <laughs> to my own fault i would throw a point or two away um but i, I shot nothing with factory ammo and it was it was better than me so yeah Okay. And I shot the uh, NRL championship with factory ammo on the way home from that and did extremely well. And that was just all factory ammo. No, that's, not that's, a single reloaded. Was that? That's crazy. That's all factory. So you, it is doable with factory ammo. Oh, a hundred percent. 100%. You are, you are dealing, you are dealing with such, I mean, there is a point to reloading. I reload everything now. I don't shoot much factory ammo at all. Uh, if I, if I can choose to just because I want to have that control over what I'm shooting. Yeah. When you buy factory ammo, you don't have that control. What you get is what you get. What it shoots is what it, what, you, what it shoots. There's there's really not much you can do about it because um, you can't change velocity. You can't really tune up that load. Uh, you can't really adjust seating depth. You can't do any of that stuff to, to make it shoot better. Mm -hmm. So what you get. Um, the reason that people reload is economy. You get to save a little bit, but you get to make the cartridge you want to make. You can't go... The, cartridges, the cartridge that I shoot, 6x47, you can't go buy that off the shelf peterson was making small runs of it but i can't find it um yeah. six dasher can't do that six br six bra most of these common cartridges that are being shot you can't just go buy so you have to load it um and then those are extremely consistent cartridges so but it, the, the the conception that i have to load for this game no you don't That's you cool. don't okay you don't Didn't know that. as long as you can manage your numbers you you totally don't have to reload for it yeah the whole i think the whole sport is kind of math <laughs> Just, oh, it, it is totally math. Yeah, hundred percent. I'm not saying you have numbers. to be good at math. Yeah, you don't have to be good at math. You just have to be very good at organizing your numbers and staying on top of your numbers. It's all numbers. It's nothing scary. I mean, just imagine if it was colors. You just stay on top of the colors. That's it. I was gonna make a joke there. <laughs> Says the Marine Corps in their crayon, like you know. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> so in that's your why you have to paint some of the targets. <laughs> they're colorblind. Oh, you can't be colorblind in service. If they did, they got through somehow. It's true. It's true. I mean, later on, you know. Um, okay. So in your opinion, what would be the best like starter gun, if you can recommend them, and starter glass to get someone in the sport? And again, maybe like the best they can buy. Like what are some good options out there for, for people? So the industry um, as a whole has progressed pretty well over the last two years. Um, the PRS production division actually has in a way promoted the factory rifles and making stuff that's specifically for um, precision rifle shooters. I mean, there's so many companies out there that offer something, but a good thick heavy barrel, a good sturdy action, something that'll run you up. And I hate to say this, but if you're serious about jumping in and getting a good starting point to 2000 is what you're gonna wanna spend on, on a rifle bare minimum. Yeah. Um, there's, there's several awesome options in that realm um 
I'm not saying that anything cheaper than that. I'm staying with brand names right now because because I have a lot of ties everywhere in brand names. But um, <laughs> that two thousand dollar mark is a good mark. Um, be prepared to spend that, and be prepared to spend that in glass. Okay. So right off the bat, we're looking at four to five grand, and then a decent bipod. Um, so obviously, I'm going to recommend MDT products there. So something with an MDT chassis and a Skypod, and I've shot loophole scopes since the start. Um, and I absolutely love that company and that glass. So, um, and, and I'm not just saying that I shot, I shot loophole scopes way before I was, uh, affiliated with them professionally. Um, and I, I've always loved their products. So that would be my recommendation. There's so many good glass companies out there. There really is, uh, there, there really isn't a, above a certain price point. Of course, there really isn't bad gear anymore. It's, it's the, 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 the industry as a whole has actually moved forward from the $20 Walmart special. So, and thank goodness, because we have enough of that. Um, so yeah, something, you know, to take a detachable AI style magazine, uh, cause you're gonna need 10, 10, 12 rounds a uh, stage. And then, you know, like I said, a good sturdy bipod, a rifle with a big old thick barrel. I shoot nothing but straight contours. I don't do contours anymore. So I shoot a one and a quarter pipe, whatever. I just throw it on the, throw it on the action and away we go. Um, it's it's just get something nice and heavy and stable don't think you're going to go win matches with a 12 pound rifle because i have yet to see that Ooh, that'd be horrible so who I, should put the barrel or who should put the gun together <laughs> so there so with the boom of of rifle shooting and i can call it a boom because that's really what it's been yeah. there are so many good gunsmiths all over the country um local to you around just just talk to them beforehand um I have gotten to the point where I trust, you know, one guy and I, I buy my own chamber reamers and I, and I get my own barrels and I supply him everything. What is a chamber reamer? <laughs> so when you get further into this, I'm not saying like it is, if this is, you're building a custom rifle, um, you really want to talk to that gunsmith before you buy something yeah. and really discuss your needs, your desires. If you have a, a particular cartridge that you're shooting, make sure that they know a little bit about that cartridge and what you're trying to get out of it. Uh, Cause if you go to Joe Bob's gunsmithing, um, <laughs> excuse me, if there's a Joe Bob's gunsmithing, but <laughs> and he's never heard of the six dasher um, or, or the six BR or never, maybe you want a six, five Creedmoor and he's against it. He hates it. And he thinks 308 is the greatest thing on the planet. Um, he's probably not going to be the best gunsmith for you to suit your needs so um there's so many out there it's ridiculous uh so many good ones and and they're not i mean you could swing a cat around and, and hit like 10 of them in the united states now hmm. um but chamber chamber reamer so i don't know what this thing is chamber reamer. here i'll pull one out so for those watching the video this is what drills the chamber so it it's like an internal it's it's an internal cutter it has these things called flutes and this thing is pretty damn sharp and it goes in and this is basically the shape of the cartridge and the um the lead and the throat right there that's the inside of the chamber because when you buy a barrel it's just a rifle tube it's got a little tiny hole and some rifling mm -hmm. uh the grooves and lands and then this is what the gunsmith uses it's like a drill bit basically they run in there and then that carves out the inside of the chamber where the the cartridge goes when you fire it so these are two of the specifications that i like to run that I know um, 
and I have my dimensions and you'll get lucky sometimes and gunsmiths will have the right reamer. Um, but if you go to them and say, hey, I just want this and they and you don't really do your due diligence, you could end up with something that you don't want. So if you're gonna shoot nothing but factory ammo, make sure the reamer that they're gonna use is suitable for that uh, factory ammo. If you're gonna reload and you already know what you're gonna want out of it, then either do what I do and buy my own reamer. They're usually 150 bucks and they last several barrels and I get what I want out of them. Um, but that's pretty advanced stuff. So yeah. Um, yeah. if you're if you're new to this and you haven't quite wrapped your head around this, just go buy a nice factory rifle and shoot factory ammo and be very happy about it. <laughs> what about what about a muzzle brake versus suppressor? So I used to shoot suppressors and matches quite a bit um, because I didn't like the back blast from the 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 muzzle brakes, but they each give an, an advantage and a disadvantage. So the advantage of the suppressor is the reduced sound signature. It is the reduced blast. It doesn't kick up a bunch of stuff. Uh, I really like using them in field matches where I'm in sand and, and weird terrain and stuff. Or if I'm shooting with a partner, I actually, I actually like to have a can uh, if there's an, if, if situation permits. Because it's easier to communicate with them. You're not blowing each other out with muzzle brakes. Um, but they do increase recoil over a brake so there's there's that trade-off mm -hmm. the muzzle brake is very effective on reducing recoil that shot impulse is dead right then once that once that gas leaves the, the barrel and the, the brake ports it's done that's it with a can it just it just slows down that gas release and that's what a can does it allows that gas to expand and slow down um, that's reduces the, that's how a can works in short in short term um, you do get a little bit reduced uh, recoil impulse. It's a little longer recoil impulse because that gas is staying and bleeding out the can. Um, so it's a give and take. Um, but I like running brakes uh, because I that like I said that shot impulse is dead and I can see where that bullet goes and I'm spotting the impact or I'm watching trace. That is is honestly um, half the battle. Um, legit. If you're not seeing where your bullet hits, you're not spotting trace. And trace, if you've never seen it or heard of this term before, um, trace is is like the vapor trail the bullet leaves. So you'll actually see the bullet's flight path in the air. It's It's got some prismatic effects to it. Sun hits on that vapor trail. You can actually see it. And then you can watch the bullet land. That's when you know you have, have good conditions where you can see trace and you can see your bullet land. So a break will allow you to do that a little bit better. Other people at the shooting range may hate you for it, but eh, it's not their rifle. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All of ours are just don't be the RL that has to stand next to him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. That's what it basically is. Um, oh, I forgot what I was gonna ask. Oh, have you done the Kestrel thing where you, you get your data? I don't really know enough about it, but you know what I'm talking about where they can actually give you the data from your gun or something. So, okay, I think you're asking about two different things. So um, are you talking about the applied ballistics mobile lab where they give yeah. you the drops? Thank you. Yes. Okay. So that's a pretty cool thing. I have yet to do it, but I have uh, some, a good friend that works there, Francis, uh, Applied Ballistics, and he's done the, the custom curves. So if you're at a match where the Applied Ballistics uh, mobile lab is at, they'll actually do custom curves. You'll shoot in their Doppler. Actually, it might be, not be Doppler. I don't want to speak out of turn here, but their, their, their system, let's say, will okay. pick up and follow your bullet, and they'll create a, their, your own custom curve to input into your ballistic solver. So for that bullet, for that load, that bullet, it's very specific. That lot of bullet, that rifle, this is what it's doing. Mm -hmm. And so you have detailed data for your rifle and it's, it's very refined, um, but it's pretty cool. And you can, you can use your Kestrel to tune that up. Um, 
very cool, very cool thing. Um, but kestrels are a different animal. You yeah. really have to, my advice, if you get into this and you buy a kestrel, take the online classes. That's what I'm kestrel. doing right now. <laughs> take them. That's what I've done. No one, else, no one else knows kestrels better than the people at kestrel. Right. <laughs> so if you think that um, Uncle Rico knows how to work a kestrel, <laughs> uh he may not as well as you think he does so take the take, i've taken them i take the beginners one and advanced yep. one and i learn something new every time and yep. then talking to experienced shooters that that rely on these things uh they'll give you the the shortcuts and the tips and tricks to kind of fix what you got going on um it's pretty cool and i help people out with the kestrels all the time <laughs> like give me that thing uh, just the other day i went and visited a friend he, a uh, good friend, Travis, he cut me up a bunch of uh, old fire hoses, a fireman. He cut me up a bunch of old fire hoses and he had his kestrel in his hand. I'm in the parking lot of his fire station. And he had, I was like, give me your kestrel. And so I'm looking, I was like, all right, we got to fix this, 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 this. And that, and now, now he should be good to go. So Aww, that's really cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, kestrel is an amazing tool. Um, but you have I gotta to tell you use a tool, just like a firearm. If you don't know how to use it, you have to, be, you, you have, and you have to turn it on more than once a month. Like it's, it's amazing the stuff. It, it takes a little bit of effort. Yeah. but you have to wrap your head around it and and know but you also when you're getting into this you have to have real data you have to have what is my gun what is the bullet actually doing i don't care what the digital part says what yeah. is that bullet actually doing you got a sun a solid 100 zero i'm shooting a target thousand yards what's the actual data where where is it hitting dead center that's what matters you can backwards calibrate the, 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 the ballistic solver and the Kestrel to match that. That's what should be a goal. And then after that, you verify in and bam, done. I've just helped you with your, your data. <laughs> done. It's that easy. And you'd be like, well, it's not that easy. No, there's a few more steps to it, but that's the premise of it. So yeah. you have to trust what's going on with the bullet. You, ha you have to use actual data because um, a very smart man told me that the only good data is confirmed data. Mm, that's, like that. that's the only thing you can rely on and, who was uh, that man oh one of my sniper instructors and okay. he is a he, he is for all intents and purposes he's, he's a genius in my eyes so um that has saved me so many times like that's what this number really says on this device like that's not what it actually is what actually matters is what it's doing in real life dang so okay yeah definitely is that apply ballistics lab by the way like something that costs or you just show up and they do it so from my knowledge, if you're there to match, they'll just do it. Cool. If there's a fee, I don't think it's much at all. Yeah. But you can purchase the custom curves to the applied ballistics uh, Kestrel and the app. I don't, it, it does cost through the app um, to get their, their pre-can custom curves. I don't use the custom curves. I just, I do it kind of myself based on drop data. And I shoot far enough out, about 1,200 yards to, to line up that data. And then I just kind of tweak all my numbers to make a match. So, geez, geez. Okay. It's, it, it's really not that bad of a process. You just got to spend some time on it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, skimming the surface, because we're already on that. <laughs> what calibers do you recommend someone shoot? Like you said, there's some Joe Schmoes that'll tell you some wrong information. <laughs> um, and then talk about the process of testing loads, having access to a chronograph, all of that good stuff. So, cartridges. Uh, if you're going to buy factory ammo and build a gun off factory ammo, buy the ammo first right now. Like we are in a situation now that, yeah, it sucks. I don't want to be the reason that someone else can't find ammo, but if you're going to build a rifle, you need ammo. 
or else you're going to have a built rifle and nothing shoot out of it. So maybe figure out what you're going to shoot first and buy that ammo if you can find it and buy the same ammo. Don't just buy a bunch of different stuff. Um, just buy the ammunition now is so good. Even the, even the cheap stuff's good. Um, it really is. Um, as long as it shoots consistently on your rifle, you're good. Uh, I, one of these well-built rifles, uh, well-built factory rifles, they shoot, they shoot really well. Like it's, it's not so much a thing anymore where you buy a four minute rifle. That's not, it's not the seventies anymore. So you just do that Buy buy that, uh, you got to know what you want to get into. I, I tend to steer people to six, five Creedmoor because it's so consistent. It's usually easy to find and it carries more energy downrange. It does a little better in the wind. If I have to, if someone's kind of on a budget, then I'll say build a heavy 223 and just shoot 223 for a while. So you can try to trade up when you start getting the six millimeter stuff, it starts getting expensive. Um, more, more so than six, five or 223. If you want to shoot 308, awesome. There's a plethora of 308. I am not a 308 fanboy by any means i've shot tons of it i've got buckets full of 308 brass but the recoil beats it up after a weekend mm. i don't care how heavy that rifle it it, it does beat you up after a weekend and and there, i know there's people that are probably listening to like oh my three my 308 doesn't recoil that bad i'm sorry but after 300 rounds after a full weekend that wears on you and when you can't see where your bullet goes that's a problem so six creed's good uh six gt if you can you know find if you're going to load for it there's i'm not aware of much factory ammo for that right now six creed you can find anywhere but here's the thing with those six millimeters they do burn out barrels faster than six fives and 223s so um i've gotten some six mils when i shot six creed that i got thousand rounds out of 1500 rounds and they started going south and i just pulled them okay. so um it, it really depends on what that what that load is that was a lot of factory ammo through that um, so I shoot a lot of six, five Creed cause I shoot a big heavy bullet and it does pretty well in the wind. And I have my little six mil, my six, five, 47 that I've been shooting for a few years now. And I can do a bunch of different stuff. And there's so many good, um, six millimeter options out there, but figure out what you want to shoot buy a lot of it. Um, and I heard a good quote by a very, very, very good, like the top, uh, PRS and our shooter right now. Um, Morgan King dude is on it and he had a good saying and I, people don't like to hear this, but instead of buy once cry once it's buy a lot cry a lot that's the truth of it i like that how many it's, times it's, it's true it's true i was gonna say how many times you go through a barrel in like a year and another question is reminding people like you would want to always reconfirm data in the new barrel because it's different yeah so i've got a bin of spent barrels um but i usually have i usually have one or two barrels for that that cartridge waiting to be spun up like i always have um barrels ready to be built or they're built and i just got to slap on the brand new um so i don't know if i'm shooting a lot i'm five six a year uh it's 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 not like i said it's not cheap um it's not that's just the truth of it uh you'll get if you're shooting a lot of factories, six, five creed, you'll get 2,500, 3,000 rounds out of it before that barrel starts going south. Six millimeters, I mean, a good six, slow six millimeter, 2,000 rounds plus maybe. That's so, the round counts on barrels is so, it's all over the place. You ask 10 different people, they're gonna give you 10 different answers for it. So I, I just tell you my experience, I've gotten, I beat the crap out of my 223s and I get 5,000 out of those before I just switch them out because it's time. Um, and then the 6.5 Creed's 2,500. I start looking at SWAT, uh, those become practice barrels. And then um, I'll, I 
throw a new one on the match rig, six mils, I get about 2000. Then they start becoming practice barrels. Um, so that's, that's my method of it. And, and this is something I've talked to about people or talked to people about a different way to look at this. When you buy a gun, when you buy a barrel, buy enough ammunition or components to reload for that barrel, Mm-hmm. the barrel yes it's a sizable investment going in but it's the only way to have consistency through that whole thing so you're not just chasing and wasting dollars yeah yes it's expensive up front i get that well how can i afford that i'm sorry Figure i don't have that answer but tell your child <laughs> you, you obviously got into this sport because you had some sort of expendable income mm-hmm. so yeah <laughs> no one's doing this because they're poor True. um so buy, buy enough for that barrel. And I told a few people that are not well-versed with the whole precision rifle thing. And they, okay, that makes sense. Yes. And when I, that's another thing that I wish someone would have told me from the start as well. Like just spend the money up front, um, which is what I do now. So if I have a barrel, I buy a flat of bullets. I have enough powder to reload all those. I have a new brass for that barrel. Like it's just bam, done. And I don't have anything to worry about now. My load, once I find it, is done. And uh, going to your question about the load development process, there's so many different little methods to this. It's, I would tell you that my method is slightly different than anybody else's method. That person's method is sort of similar. That one, you know, it, it's just, we all have different ways of skinning that cat to get to that final answer. And my final answer might be slightly different than that guy's final answer. So there's so many different ways. Um, but I usually start brand new barrel and I'll have some old loads from an old barrel that I'll shoot about hundred to 150 rounds. I don't, you don't start barrel load development or barrel ammo testing until about hundred rounds in that barrel has to smooth out. The throat has to kind of burn in, um, clean it. And then after hundred, 150 rounds, that barrel is, is what we call stable. Um, so that velocity is going to be the same. The accuracy is about, is going to be where it is. There's so many different opinions on barrel break-in, whether you do it or you don't, that's your business, not mine. I'll tell you that I don't, I don't do it. I just go out and shoot and then I clean it. I don't know. I, I just don't find the time to do that. There's people that will do the shoot one clean round. Hey, if you've got time for it, go ahead. I don't, that's, that's your deal. Um, you know, drink some coffee, kick your feet up and then let that barrel cool down. That's, that's, that's your prerogative, not mine. I just go out and I practice with that barrel. I shoot it and then I clean it and then I'll start load development and load development usually starts with a Saturday load, load um, development ladder where it, I'm kind of mapping velocities and looking where the velocities go up and then plateau and then they go up and you'll start finding these little areas where the pressure is consistent through a couple of charge weights of powder. And then I dabble in that area. I'll, I'll load up like five rounds of some of the different charges and shoot them, see how they do. And then I'll pick the best one and then Sometimes I'll have to play with seating depth. Um, usually the bullets I'm using, I know where they're happy Yeah. with my reamer, where they're going to be seated into the case. So I just load it. And if I have to tweak it, I tweak it. But like I said, once you have experience in a cartridge or have the same chamber design or use the same barrels, everything becomes easier later yeah. on. And it's very minimal changes. Like guys that shoot six dasher that have been using the same gunsmith and barrel and all that. It's like the same load, every barrel with maybe minor variations to it. Cause they're using the same bullets. They're using the same everything. Uh, or if you're shooting factory, that factory ammo is loaded to try to get this as consistent as possible through the course of all the loads they load on the machine. So um, that's just it. Use the same, same stuff. You'll see a theme here. It's, use the same thing for everything and you'll have better results. 
Um, there's guys that'll hop around different cartridges, different barrels, yada, 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 yada. And they just spin their wheels on trying to figure it out. Um, stick with one thing. It's so generic. You just stick with one thing and burn it and then shoot it, shoot a couple barrels. I would say don't have an opinion about a cartridge until you actually burn out a barrel or two about it. So, um, there's guys that'll shoot 500 rounds or something and say, I don't like it. Well, yeah, I mean, that barrel still got life, shoot it. Um, but hey, whatever. That's 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 your company. And I, I will tell you that a lot of reloaders don't know as much as they think they do. Um, ask people about reloading. I have actually gone to I would say the, the rifle dark side of the world and talked to F class shooters and Palma guys uh, about reloading and their methods and how they're punching paper, getting accuracy out of rifle cartridges. And I have learned so much. It's ridiculous. Cool. These guys chase accuracy and numbers, and they know what their load does. And they're mm-hmm. it's it's more of a reloading sport than is a shooting sport. Yeah, someone's gonna hear that and get pissed off about it. But um, <laughs> I've learned so much that it's ridiculous. So talk to people that actually know what they're doing and, and chase that if you need help. Don't just guess and don't just pan- cram uh, some powder in some case and jam a bullet in there. That doesn't work. Yeah. Um, but and there there are tons of actually really good reloading classes and resources online in person. You just have to seek out that information. Um, but yeah, but the, the, the big takeaway here is if you're not committed to spending the time reloading, and that's lots of time and lots of money just by factory ammo. Yep, that's got it. it. Check. <laughs> that's it. And keep a log. That was one of the things my, my friend taught me is keep a log because you're going to want to know life of the barrel, right? Like, uh, Yeah, so I kind of, I do it a different way. <laughs> so- I have a flat of bullets, say that flat is 2000 projectiles, mm-hmm. or I have 2000 primers set aside. Mm-hmm. I know how many rounds have gone through that barrel when I've consumed all that. <laughs> so that's another way of doing it. I don't necessarily, start to do. <laughs> I, I don't necessarily keep a log for that barrel because uh, the barrels I'm shooting, I don't run factory ammo through them right now. I'm just doing reloading and I have in my, in my, my supplies, I have stuff roped off for that barrel. So yeah, I know when cool. I hit two things of primers and I'm loading that last little tray, I'm at 2000. So uh, that's funny. That's, okay. that's, that's the simple way of doing it. This friend you of mine's a girl. You, you won't lose, you won't lose that notebook. Let me tell you, it's two boxes of primers that cost you 50 to $70 a box. So, so I bring a notebook down every match, write down my thoughts. And it's literally in my, my gun bag of stuff. So yeah. Hmm. So yeah, I, I do that with the matchbooks they give me mm-hmm. um, or the ones I print out for our local matches. Um, and they usually have cuss words in them. So yeah, I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> Basically, yeah. really. There's lots <laughs> of lots of bad notes to myself. You got to take away the good with the bad though. That's the biggest thing. You can't just go in a journal and like hate yourself. <laughs> oh no. And I'll look at, I'll look at, over those matchbooks and I'm like, why was I retarded on this stage? Oh, that's why. Got it. <laughs> oh man. Um, okay. The struggle point of, of this, um, like right now I have a hundred yards back home. We've shoot up 2000 yards. Right. So if a shooter like doesn't have access to a thousand yards, what are they going to do? Uh, you want the truth or do you want, you want the nice version? <laughs> the truth. <laughs> right, I'll start with the truth. The truth is you're going to struggle a little bit, uh, especially if a match you're going to, or the setting you're going to shoot into is past that distance because you don't have confirmed data. You can get close. Mm-hmm. You don't actually know what's happening. 
say if I'm a shooter and I have a brand new rifle and I've got a hundred yard range. Yeah, cool. I can go shoot groups. I can do a little bit of practice, you know, positionally or whatever at a hundred yards, I can get a good solid zero, but that's all I can do. The, so I'm taking everything for, for at, at its uh, face value. I'm, I'm, if I have a good chronograph, I'm taking that speed as a face value. I'm taking the manufacturer's word for a ballistic coefficient for that bullet at its, at its face value. What my gun's doing at face value, I, I, that's all I got because I don't have a way to verify any of that. That's the big thing. Conferred data is, is the only data that you can rely on. So yes, you can get close. Mm-hmm. You can get close to ballistic solvers. They're very good. But until you have that answer, you don't know. Yeah. That's, that's the truth. Yeah. We, that's what we want. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's it. And a lot of people think like, yeah, I can just go zero and get speeds. And yes, you will get close. Yeah. But I will tell you if there's a, like a one and a one or a one and an MOA, a one and a half MOA target at a thousand yards, guess what, man? I, I wouldn't trust that number. Yeah. You might get lucky, but more often than not, you're going to be off. Somehow you're going to be off. Yeah. That bullet probably won't be doing what you think it is past 300 yards. So, um, you got and when, when <laughs> you can't, and you, in, in rifle matches, you can't make up points. Yeah. Yep. Can't. Yep. Once that round's sent, you can't unsend it you can't read there's no redo so yeah i would say try to drive a couple more hours and find somewhere that you can shoot further than 100 which is very easy for me to say because we have 70 percent 70 yeah. somewhat percent public that can shoot yeah. um every day back east midwest that's not the case and i get it but you're gonna have to put in a little bit more effort if you want the results <laughs> yeah okay yeah. so if they do have the distance and you're probably gonna say shoot as far as they can <laughs> What is like the longest shot they should confirm their gun with uh, like to prepare for competitions or what is the longest that they're probably going to shoot in precision rifle? So I've shot all the way out to, I've shot all the way to a mile at a PRS match. That's, that's like unheard of one out of 10,000 rounds I've shot in a big competition, right? Like it's, that is so few and far between. I would say if you know what your rifle's doing at a thousand yards and in, you are doing good you are you are on the right track my starting point's a thousand um i like to finish load development at a thousand i like to shoot groups at a thousand on steel and on paper at a thousand so i know exactly what's going on um because you can pick up some points that people don't hit um at a thousand you know that 900 to 1200 range Mm -hmm. so that's where when you're kind of getting more experience you're gonna send you're gonna spend a little time on is, is confirming that load data at a thousand and knowing your waterline, knowing, you know, is that rifle or is that, is that load doing five, six inches at a thousand, or is it doing 12 inches at a thousand? What, what's, what's my spread here? What am I looking at? How accurate is this load? So the working range for all these matches is usually local matches. The working range is usually five to four to 600 yards. Um, big national matches, you're going to be working a little further than that. I would say, you know, 700 and in seven, four to 700 is probably your working range from the majority of your points. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you, you'll hardly ever have anything closer than two ever, ever. Um, I I actually shot a match where they had a target at 50 yards. It was a paper target, 50 yards. (laughs) There was someone else like, if you can't, and I was going, I was going wait what you want me to do what um but yeah it was funny how many people couldn't get scored on that target because they didn't know where they didn't never shot that close in to figure out their scope height of what their sky scope height of board actually was so um 
yeah, so anywhere, you know, 100 to 1,000 is good. If you can only get to 500, 400, that's fine. Just make sure that you are super, 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 super uh, precise at those distances. Like, that's ass. Like, make sure you are, are you, you have the finest degree of precision at that, at that range, uh, and that'll help you out further. But as if you got an access to a range that has 1,200 yards, shoot 1,200 yards. Yeah. Access to a range is 300, get a good water line. And, and I- Water line. Always, Keep saying water line. What is that? Okay. <laughs> Sorry. So it's a generic term. Uh, it, it's, it's a common term in um, the rifle world. So I don't know where it originated. I just know it's very common. And com- like common, you'll, you'll, when you go to these matches and hang around these people, you'll hear lots of common terms. Waterline is one of them. So a waterline is a, a, a line on a target that you're, you want your bullets to make. So if you're aiming at the center of the target, you want all of your bullets, whether they're left or right, to hit the center of the target vertically. So if I have a very minimal vertical dispersion, that load's doing pretty well. And I want the least amount of vertical dispersion as possible at distance. So I'm only compensating for wind. I don't have this big error, error field basically vertically that I have to chase. So I'm chasing wind and vertical. Gotcha. So if I have a small target, I know that I need to make a good wind call to send it. And I know my correction left and right is going to be good. So I don't have to correct up and down, or I'm sending around a into that deviation pattern. That's going to be outside of that target size. So it's giving me more of the target to play with. So waterline. So I paint water lines on my targets at distance. So I'll put a big full-size zipstick. I'll paint it white. And then I'll take like a orange stripe right across the torso. I disregard the head stripe right across the middle of the torso and I'm trying, I'm putting my reticle in there, holding my wind and I'm trying to hit that center line on, of the paint. And that's my water line on the target. And I'm trying to get that narrow as possible. So when I'm tweaking a load, I want that group size to shrink no more than like a 10th pole at, at, you know, a thousand yards. So gotcha. that's, that's an expectation and whether it's reality or not, it's two different things, but um, that's the idea. Okay. You don't want to, you don't want to have a target and hit the head and the feet really and the, head and, the, and the left shoulder you don't want that that's not good but if i am hitting a little left little right but everything's going dead center of the target vertically i'm doing awesome i'm yeah. doing good that's yeah. that's good results with any gun though if you're that far off that's a barrel that's a optic that's a ammo there's something wrong there <laughs> you'd be surprised how many people just get excited because they hit the target and that's where they stop Oh boy. Um, okay. So I'll move on from that one. <laughs> Do you shoot MOA or Mills? Mills. Mills, 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 Mills. If, sure. if you shoot in minutes, I'm sorry, you're wrong. No, I'm kidding. Um, you, you just, I can shoot in both. I have, I still have minute scopes. I don't use them. I have them. Um, it's just, it's so uncommon in the rifle world, practical rifle world. Paper, they do different things. Like we just shoot in groups on paper. Yeah, they'll use minutes and they'll use second focal plane. That's fine. That's not what the the precision practical rifle world's about. They counting to 10 is a lot faster and easier than counting in fractions. Yep. Especially the ruler. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's it's all ruler, whether whether it's in, in units of mills or minutes or 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 in units of Matt or Kenzie, it doesn't matter as long as. As long as those units match up with something, you can speak them and you know them, that's fine. Yeah. But where, where minute shooters um, have a problem is when they go and they try to 
converse with people that shoot in mills and maybe all they know is in mills and they don't know the math to convert the minutes and the guy, minutes guys don't know the math to convert mills to minutes and then you've got this big cluster that you have to figure out so i do this all the time at local matches some some new shooter come up and he's shooting in minutes it always happens to be minutes i don't know why it's always minutes what did you use to hit that target oh i hit it shooting a 6.5 creed with 0.6 left what's that in minutes buddy times it by 3.44 and you can get your ballpark minutes oh why is that okay it's basic math don't 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 wrap your don't try to wrap your hair on just just write it down and do it um but if you shoot in mills and i turn around and i tell you that i hit with that and you're shooting the same cartridge same speed as me then we can pretty much have universal you know dialogue back and forth yeah um an easier way to convey this is if you have somebody that's very well versed their ballistic solver and they know how to um adjust the wind values in the ballistic solver if i can turn around you i hit with i hit that target with a five mile an hour wind and experienced shooters will talk that way like i hit it with a five mile an hour wind okay that means that it was a five mile an hour wind from 90 degrees to the target regardless of what cartridge i'm shooting i'm going to plug that into my ballistic solver and i'll get a number whether my number is the same as your number, it doesn't matter. It's what it's going to take for you to hit that target. So that's a different way that people talk about that. Yeah. So the biggest thing is that commonality in terms, the speaking terms of that ruler in front of your face, which is amazing. I want to teach people how to zero their rifle. I'm like, how many tenths or how many minutes are you from center? They go, I don't know. And they want to walk out there and use a tape measure and measure oh my it. God. Oh my it god! Blows my mind. I'm like, no, measure it. You have a ruler in front of your face. Uh huh. Oh, like the target okay. width. Like someone's like, how big is that target? Well, it's this on this. <laughs> yes. So when I learned how to do this in sniper school, we had the old loopholes on there, Mark IVs that had minute turrets and mill reticles. What? So we, yes, that's a thing. Uh, and and luckily we've 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 evolved from that. The army has, but it was measure in mills dial in minutes and it was terrible but you had to be really good at that math you that's why you're really good, good at math at that's why you're good at this i get it now that's why well, you had to learn it was it was you know sink or swim yeah. and so you and your partner had to figure this out and how to talk that minutes and mills thing it was a blessing and a curse at the same time it was a blessing because like you had to fit, you had to learn both systems and understand both systems in order to make it work but it was a curse because I have to do this fast and I have to talk to somebody else and I have to hit these things or else I go home. So it was a pain in the ass, but um, it's not as bad as people make it seem. Um, if you shoot in minutes, the easiest thing to do is sell your minute scope by a mill scope. Um, no, I, I get this all the time. I do online classes for my local, uh, my local club uh, once a month and we talk about shooting and we talk about, um, talk about everything. Uh, and we go over course fire and all, everything this, and notes and, and questions. Yeah. Oh. Yep. So, so some I started local. doing. What's that? I'll be local. <laughs> okay, that's fine. I, I open it up to anybody who wants to hop on, but we talk about okay. shooting and, and I help people through problems and we'll talk about a new topic every month. I actually had a guy from uh, Applied Ballistics hop on and do a ballistic class with the app and stuff um, last month. It was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, there's, there's online training opportunities out there. Lots of people don't, you just have to take advantage of it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, minutes and mills, uh, definitely mills. Okay. Long and short. Okay. Long and short. Yeah. Uh, okay. 
into the, like the the different stuff like what is like the biggest misconception maybe like that people will have going into precision rifle or are there any um okay so man there i see two different types of people come gravitate towards this central thing <laughs> i've got hunter guy going towards it and i've got guy that shot competitively in other areas go towards it two types of people bam right <laughs> in the center so guy hunter guy that comes in and wants to get better with his rifle doesn't know anything doesn't i mean honestly doesn't know anything doesn't know what he doesn't know mm -hmm. and now he has to learn the rifle aspect and the game aspect yeah that person usually has a harder time with it because they have to wrap their head around everything but they already have some of the gear. They already know their way around the rifle. They're already pretty solid on that part. They, they know and they, they have an expectation. Um, so that person uh, sometimes can be a little stubborn. That's fine. Um, but they, they end up morphing. And then those guys, um, they end up, I think, sticking around a little longer because they, they already like rifles and, and want to get into that. And they get really good at it. And they improve themselves hunting. And they're, they're able to ethically kill animals at a little bit farther distances than they normally would. And they, they have great success on that. And they're, they're helping others. They're teaching others. It's an amazing thing. But they, their interest stems from them, their pursuit of, of game, which is an amazing thing. Thank you for those folks that come and do that. Yeah. Um, because that is super important to me. And I wish more people would acknowledge that. Um, and then the other side is your competitive shooter that is looking for the new fix, the the new adrenaline dump, the new way to spend money on gear. And I like that guy too, because I was that guy. But um, they have common misconceptions of, I can just show up with an expensive piece of equipment and win and go home. Mm -hmm. That's not the case. And they, they're a little bit stubborn too, because they don't want to learn. Like they, they're all about the game and not so much the rifle stuff. Yeah. Like they don't want to put in the effort for that. They don't know how to dry fire for that. They don't know how to analyze a stage for that. They understand a timer. They understand they have a competitive need they <laughs> need to fulfill, but they don't know how to get there. They yeah. don't understand that. They know they can pull a trigger really fast and that's what they end up doing. So they come to these matches and they burn 10 rounds into the dirt and then they're really surprised about where they placed. Yeah. And that yeah. sucks to watch. Um, so it, it's two different worlds that I see. And, and I see it every month. Yeah. I do. Yeah. With the local stuff. And, and you don't see that so much at the bigger matches because it takes a little bit of gumption. Yeah. To get no. to that point and to spend a thousand dollars to go shoot a big match. A lot. Yeah. Okay. So if you could tell yourself uh, from the competition world to do something early on to do to cut down like that learning curve, that experience, what would it have been? Uh, buy a lot of ammo. Just buy a lot of factory ammo and go shoot the hell out of it and go burn out barrels and, and never look back. Uh, so many things I've done out of just wanting to be cost effective when it ended up costing me more money. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, and I, I, I've learned that several times in the other shooting disciplines as well, but I, every time it's been the same learning experience of you should have just bought something decent to start with. You should have just bought X, Y, Z. You should have just done this rather than building up to it. And, and you'll hear it a lot if, if you are around the guys that have the $10,000 rifles. It's like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't trade up to this. You don't, you don't yeah. make more money off of trading up. It, it, 
you you save up you you beg borrow and steal to get to that and yeah. and if you need to hold out for a couple months to get to that then do that mm-hmm. don't do the trade-up thing because it, it doesn't work it's it doesn't fascinating work. even you and i in different disciplines um people come to me and they ask me which i get right and i recommend exactly what they should get the buy 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 a lot cry a lot okay if that's new <laughs> but then they'll go out and buy something else and then no shit three weeks later i've had this happen just recently they sold that and they bought the thing i told them to buy one of my favorite things in life is someone asking me my opinion on something and they do the exact opposite. Thank you. Thank you. I have like favorite seven thing. people I want to write on the screen. <laughs> this favorite thing of all time. I get a message or phone call. Hey, Hornbeck, what do you think about this? And I'll tell them like, hey, don't do that because it's a bad idea. Mm-hmm. Well, how can you say that? Because I've been there. I, I'm telling you. Oh, and then they show up with that. You know, come on and they're miserable it doesn't work or it's not what they expected it's like i tried to help you yep yep so i tried so dumb i tried but whatever yeah it's kind of the people too that have been talking about it right you're the guy on facebook i'm sure with your friends your family whatever that come to you and and they want to shoot hey man i really want to come to match how many people say it all the time and have never shown up or gone to a match you know what i mean (laughs) so so i'm i'm a different kind of evil when it comes to that Mm-hmm. because I will stick a rifle and ammo in your hands and take out all the excuses. <laughs> and I've gotten a lot of people to show up and I've taken all the excuses away. Mm-hmm. All right. If that day doesn't work for you, guess what? We got next month. Hey, <laughs> if, you're short, if you're short on ammo, Hey, guess what? I got you. Or I will find someone that will help you. Mm-hmm. Hey, I don't have a rifle. Well, guess what? I got a, I got a safe full. I, I, like if I'm not using their collecting dust, guess what? I have loaner rifles. I don't have a bag. I got we, a truck full of bags. We try that, but there's still people that's like, dude, seriously. Like, I feel like they're just scared or they don't want to have that embarrassment, right? So like, what I tell them, so the few people that I have come across, I tell them like, hey, don't, don't just humor me. Mm-hmm. If it's not something you're interested, just tell me you're not interested. And I will leave you alone. But if you keep telling me that, yeah, I want to do this, then guess what? You're still going to get my attention. Yeah. So yeah, totally. Um, <laughs> but I, I generally try to take out all those answers. Those yeah, excuses we try away. to, we try. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So going back to big boy royal rules, because you and I live in that world. Um, there still are some match rules. I feel like that are probably important. Um, can you give just like the the highlight reel of rule sets that you probably know? <laughs> okay. So I'll just do a couple of my pet peeves because the general firearms rules always apply, right? <laughs> you're your four, right? And everybody knows the four from like Eddie Eagle, right? So um, maybe some people don't know what Eddie Eagle is, but they can Google it. Uh, so those, those apply to anywhere you go with firearms. Got it. Uh, with the rifle world, bolt action rifles, you do everything. You move, you, you do everything. You carry your rifle with your bolt up, which means uncocked and back, all the way back. And we use chamber flags. Those flags go in the chamber for a reason. So we have had instances where people sent around. And they had a round in the chamber. We, like- we've had it. Yes. <laughs> Because there was a round stuck in the chamber because they half loaded it and then it, the extractor didn't clip on and, and there was a round in the chamber. They go to cage their, or case their rifle. They pull the trigger and bam, send around the parking lot. This has happened. Like, I'm not going to say it hasn't. These safety things, you know, the, and, the, and luckily they're following the four steps or at least some of them and, and two of those rules didn't cross and, and someone didn't get hurt, thank God. But um, so that's big, both up and back with semi-autos. Just do what you're told and flip the safety on and off. That's it. In multi-gun, you get away with with running around with um, the rifle with the safety 
you know, some matches it's on, sometimes it's off. Hey, whatever, that's their rules. But in the precision rifle world, it's safety on when you move um, and you don't load until you're told, obviously. Um, just follow that. And my biggest pet peeve um, is sky loading. You ever heard that term? Sky loading? Like load it while uh, the- Sky loading. I'm assuming while it's pointed up. So yes and no. Okay. So rifle world sky loading is, imagine like someone- standing there and like old school like um like offhand where they're like standing up straight and they've got the rifle and they rack the bolt close and then bring the rifle down on target yeah right yeah, yeah. like pistols no. really do that that's that's a no no that's a yeah. no go yeah so in the bolt gun world we don't use our safeties the safety is having the bolt up and back it's not going to fire right. there's no, not going to be any mechanical failure that could happen to set off that rifle only right way that rifle is going to shoot is if the bolt is closed and, the, and the, the firing pin is cocked back. Only way. So skyloading is closing that bolt on a live round when you are nowhere close to the target or your face is not on the gun looking through the scope at the target. So I've seen people that go onto a barricade, put their rifle down, close the bolt, and then get on the rifle. That's skyloading. I've seen them go to the face close the bolt and then come down, that's skyloading. Because I'm I'm not anywhere close to the target. And the cartridges that we're shooting are big enough to cause some real damage and carry some energy downrange. That's why we shoot them. So that's that's a pet peeve of mine. Um, moving without the bolt up and back, big. Um, but that's just generally it. And then and then there's this thing called suitcasing. And this is this will get you in trouble at a lot of ranges. Suitcasing. This is an actual term. So this is carrying the rifle around by the scope. Like, like the scope's a handle. Oh, I hate that. That's so, so painful. So what happens is people start pointing rifles at each other. Yeah. So once again, one of your first four <laughs> rules of firearm safety, um, that's a big one. So it depends on the range you go to is the severity of breaking these. Some ranges will kind of give you a pass. Some will immediately kick you out. Some will give you a stage DQ. It, it all just, it all, they'll tell you in the safety brief. They'll tell you in the, the match descriptions um, exactly what's expected of you. Um, but generally, those are those are some some taboo things uh, in the rifle world. Um, so if they're a little bit different than you're used to, just suck it up and follow it and, and wow. say thank you. That's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Difficult part. You can kind of get into this because it's going to be way too much. Um, wind reading, wind calling, all of that. Um, something that you could teach, but it's something that really at the end of the day, someone's going to have to see for themselves. So I know you haven't named them, but are there any like resources or what are the resources, classes, videos that people should go and learn how to win read? Uh, Applied Ballistics has some really good stuff on, on this, on how to read win and deal with it. Formal training uh, from a good instructor will get you this, but it will get you the premise of this. Um, but you gotta remember that dealing with wind is, is also just dealing with numbers. That's yeah. it. Because you're, you're after a number to apply to the problem to get the solution you want. So it's, it's just, and all wind is, is, an, is the best educated guess you can make at the time. That's yeah. it. It's, it's the biggest variable that's based on, on weather and terrain. So what wind is doing over the terrain changes things uh, different times of the day, your wind mile per hour values, it, it all comes into play. The cartridge use, uh, the cartridge use shoot, like it, it all, it's this conglomeration of, of frustrating and you scenario. Love it. You love that, it, like you're a nerd. Yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, well, we all are. Um, but 
it's that's what keeps it fun um yeah. because you have to figure it out every time like i said and then you'll get lucky and and you'll send two rounds back to back that are the same wind call or you'll shift 15 degrees and and from that last target out to another one it's totally different like it's it's wild um so you have to plan every target every shot for the win but it's experience with your rifle that gets you there so um a lot of experienced shooters will go out and practice with two 23s um in in the wind uh, i will say go out and shoot in a in a bunch of different wind conditions so mm -hmm. you know what visually it looks like to you and your rifle so you can see mirage the direction of the mirage waves um that's a good indicator of, of direction sometimes speed um but you really have to be out there uh and then and then the generic term you know what wind matters and it's all of it um from you to the target yeah uh, so yeah. It, it's it's you have to go out and experience it and you have to like to shoot in the wind i like shooting in the wind i shoot pretty well in the wind we have wind out west midwest and east and south not so much uh because you've got natural tree breaks and it's naturally just not as windy there the ranges here are big open land ranges with no trees no cover no nothing not much terrain um besides some mountains in the background but we have wind so it, it's kind of funny some shooters i see travel a little bit and they struggle a little bit out west because we have wind we have different terrain they're not used to seeing what we see on a daily basis. So like a calm day here at my house is, you know, 10 miles an hour. That's a calm day. <laughs> no, thank so, you. <laughs> but you have to shoot at times there's no wind too. So you know what that looks like. Not just with, with gale force winds blowing your bullet everywhere. Um, so yeah, wind's huge, but you have to experience it. To, to, uh, I will say shooting the NRL 22, that will give you a pretty good idea of what wind does to a bullet because it's happening at a much shorter distance but uh it does have an effect and you have to compensate for it you can't just hold center on all those targets because it's not going to work out for you yeah my first experience was was actually recently i was in texas so i got the mirage effect and then i had to see the wind here is different from of course the wind down there and then that's what the rule of the measuring thing came into play so i had like a i don't know five tenths target so winds going this far i have five miles per hour whatever you're holding the left side because you know at some point you can hit it i guess based on the movement i don't know just there's a lot to it that you have to know that the wind up where you're at is not gonna be the same where you're down there yeah and, and the bullet will tell you that right um but how you get to that first solution can can happen a few ways but you're really trying to find a range at which the the wind is operating in they call it a bracket right there's a high and a low and you're trying to find the best middle ground of that high and low that you can use to hit the target so if you have a if you have a wide target say say a target's five tenths you're trying to find a window uh to use that's less than five tenths so you can use that whole thing so if if say i have a 60 yard target say and the, the target's five tenths wide and some people listen to this they might have no idea what the hell i'm talking right. about <laughs> you've got an x wide target at x distance right and i have a four to six mile an hour now if i plug in and shoot a five mile an hour I might get lucky. Mm -hmm. Now, where I hit that target, and if I hit heavy, that means I need to back down my wind. If I hit light in it, the, the bullet's moving a little too far because of the wind, then I'm going to add a little bit more, bump that number up to six mile an hour. Yeah. So what that means yeah. is I'm trying to find that area I can bracket the target between two numbers to get the most real estate on that target. So I'm going to hit somewhere on that target. And then when I hit the target, I see where it hit, or which way the plate turns and i'm making a correction off that to get even closer to the center the next shot or the next target yeah so 
what I teach a lot of people when they start to have their head uh, wrapped around wind is um, a lot of times you can run. If you if, say you, all your targets are in a line, but they're all different distances, like say near to far, they call it a troop line. Um, if I find my wind on the first one, that's usually what I carry to the second one. So okay. if I hit dead center with say an eight mile an hour on the first one, I'm going to start with that eight mile an hour on the second. one. Now, if I hit left or right of that, I adjust my number for the next shot or the next target. Okay. So I carry that out. If I don't have any significant uh, terrain in the way that's going to change that wind, I'll carry that number all the way out, whether it needs to be an eight, nine, 10 mile an hour, whatever it is, at least I have some educated guess of where to start. And I'm making little corrections back and forth from what I see where the bullet's striking. Yeah. Like I said, it's, it's, a, it's a constant, constant, constant um, just manipulation of, of your numbers uh, that'll bring you in. You're, you're trying to hit, you're not trying to hit the edge of a target, you're trying to hit the dead center of a target. Right. And that's the key. Half it, like you just said, is like, yeah, it's great. If you, if you don't know where you missed, then you can't correct. If you're not knowing, yeah, where you're hitting, then you can't get that center. So half of it is but knowing where your, your stuff's going. Those, that's the worst feeling in the world when you miss and you have no idea where. Yep. So it's like, <laughs> what do I do next? Yep. What's my next? Well, the bulk of the time, you're not holding enough wind. That's, I'm, I'm going to say the majority of the time, shooters are not going to be holding enough wind so you should your next step should probably be to jump up um that target amount so if i hit if i miss i'm holding here and i miss you know over here i'm gonna take that target with and add it oh does that make sense yeah make a large correction so i drag that bullet that was over here to the center of this or somewhere on that plate to hit it so i'm gonna add it and yeah. if that wasn't it and I catch some trace or I catch an impact and I wasn't it, then I'm going to measure with my ruler and figure out where that bullet hit in relation to where I aimed. So now I've got a distance. Well, where I aimed was here, but it hit 0.8 to the, to the right. Okay. Well, I know now I need to drag that over X amount. Bam. Now mm -hmm. I can get on target. So that's how you use the ruler distance the same way as zeroing, right? Yeah. Um, you're just, you're just sliding the ruler over to make the correction. So that's it. That's it. That's all. Simple. That's it. There's quicker ways to do that too. Um, you can do the kind of the reticle push method. So if you barely, uh, the, the truth of it is like um, shooters that, that shoot these matches, if they miss, they're not missing by much in all reality. It's, it's minimal. It's, it's barely missing. Like they're not missing by a whole truck length off a target. Right. They're missing, you know, by less than, you know, foot, maybe two. So it's, it's not much in all, in all, um, reality so you can take whatever your wind call is and then just drag it over to the edge of the target send another one and hopefully it'll land on that target so that's an easier way to do that you push the reticle over the yeah. edge so that's a quick a quick way to make that bulk adjustment um maybe that helps someone made it well uh maybe i just okay. like lost some people i don't know i got it that's cool that's really cool because i've already experienced this literally a month ago so i was learning on two two three and then i don't even a lapua i don't know it wasn't mine it was cool was it big or was it small? It was big. I'm trying to like remember. 338 Lupua? Four, four something. Four something. Oh, something. Like a 416? I'm going to find out. Maybe we'll, we'll go to the next Sounds question. like a big cartridge. It's not it was fun to fun. shoot. It was fun. No. Um, okay. So do you have, as far as like dialing, typically, you know, you get the stage, you know the stage, you know where to dial. Um, do you have like a dope card or do you use a heads up display or anything on the gun? Um, so, so normally what I use is right here. And if you're just listening to this, it's, um, 
I use either the MDT dope card holder or the Hawk Hill dope card holders, and they they either attach to the scope or the rail, and then it's just like a credit card blank that I have a wet erase marker, and it just kind of velcros or clicks right on, and then I write my stage dope out distance. It's usually distance, oh, so target number distance that target my dope needed to dial and then my win bracket what i'm seeing for win so i have an idea of a high and a low and then um i do that for every target on down and sometimes if i get creative and i need terrain association i'll write little landmarks or if there's a complicated shooting order i'll write the shooting order out so it's in front of my face because it's usually attached to my rifle under my scope so i'm looking right at it yeah. um so that's that's what i do to kind of keep track of it there, there's a different method too you can use the the wrist coach the arm board um and i'll and i ha i carry a, an arm board with me because if I've got a super windy match, and I need to have wind tables on me um, or I'm shooting a team match and I keep, need to keep track of my partner's data, uh, his wind and his dope for him. Um, or I need to draw some diagrams and stuff for a field match. I, I, I can have both options. So awesome. there's different ways of managing those numbers. But number data management is huge. It's huge because you have to be able to quickly reference those numbers in order to use them. That's super cool. Um, and you're not supposed to like, you're not pulling your head out of the scope too. You just kind of look off to the side, right? ever 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 that was, that was keep, good <laughs> you keep your you keep your face on the gun you that's like the hallmark of a new shooter is every time they shoot they lift their head off the gun and put it back or they run their bolt and they lift they lift their head up if you're shooting a scope on 18 power at a target 600 yards away what are you seeing with your face <laughs> off the gun <laughs> nothing you're not even actually looking at anything you're just spacing out I can tell it's a frustration point. Um, it, it is because it's like, and then when people start recognizing that they're doing, they're like, oh, I took my face off the gun. I was like, yeah, what'd you see? They're like, nothing. Like, <laughs> I know, I know. Because if you can see where your bullet hit that quickly at 600 yards with your face off the gun, man, you're on a different level. You didn't do the follow through and that's with everything. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Yep. Um, my friend couldn't like, the action working is really hard, I guess. Um, you know, like when your face is in there, it's like, you got to hit it with your purse essentially <laughs> that's so there's something wrong there because like a good running action is buttery smooth and it doesn't require much force to lift it so it should just be yeah well this was a stock cool. gun it was her first one she was just getting used to it so i think she was just learning yeah tell, it, it, to, tell it to dry fire the crap out of that gun he has since. <laughs> yeah um speaking of which i didn't put anything in there but uh dry firing like what do you put in for that? Do you work off barricades, obviously bags? Like what all do you do for your practice? You know, I like to say that I dry fire more than I do, but anymore, I just, I just don't. I sometimes I'll pick up a rifle if I'm bored and I'll, and I'll do, I've got a barricade in the garage or I'll, so, so this is kind of funny. When I was at uh, Fort Leonard Wood, um, traveling around Missouri and, and uh, a little bit of the Midwest, uh, I had to keep my rifle and all the ammo stuff off post. Um, because I, I just couldn't deal with the armory and get it. So I actually rented a, um, um, a climate controlled storage unit and kept everything in there. Lock key it was, it was double doored. It was awesome. And I would just drive off post five minutes, grab my stuff and then head out for the weekend, Friday afternoon, go get an Airbnb or a nice hotel room. And then just, you know, crash. And I would do hotel dry fire and I would arrange the hotel furniture. I'd use the microwave, uh, whatever I could in that hotel room um to get different levels and dry fire and get comfortable behind the rifle because i only got to touch my rifle every week and it was actually like my release from all the training and stuff so um i still do that a bit when i travel um hotel rooms and stuff and i'll dry fire 
Um, a lot of us do though, you know, it's not crazy, yeah. but you move furniture. <laughs> yeah. Cause actually, uh, furniture I do in my house too. Furniture actually provides some really crappy situations to shoot off of. <laughs> so it's, it's pretty nice to be able to, um, recreate some very unstable, very unorthodox shooting stuff to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah. And that's something that a lot of new shooters aren't happy about is being comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah. So work yourself into those weird, awkward, unstable positions and dry fire. So when you get there in a match, you're like, oh, I've done this before. Yeah. So that's that's what I like doing for dry fire. Um, but I like I said, I don't do it as much anymore just because my schedule of work and, and uh, travel and um, huh, reloading uh, takes up most of my time. So I, I spend a lot of my free time doing load prep and brass and uh, things like so pretty. You know, piles of brass for different cartridges and, and like different halloween your candy <laughs> yeah except i use broken uh frankfurt arsenal tumbler bowls hmm. um got a few of those so yeah um that's 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 my dry fire stuff okay that's okay. it uh by the way six by 47 lapua oh that's a shot yeah yeah little guy that's what i shoot i have no idea okay it was fun yeah. no little, little guy little See, I don't really know what, yeah, where, where, <laughs> okay, you're a dude, you know, it's little and small. <laughs> yeah, yeah, got no problem. <laughs> okay, so, um, wrapping this up too, uh, the gap grind, I know is something that is like an annual competition where pros and ams can compete together and coaching's allowed. And I saw where like even, um, an amateur could sign up who doesn't really have a professional, right? They haven't found a coach or a mentor. So how does that process look or look like and have you been in the gap grind can you speak about it i have not been in the grind it's something i haven't done yet um i just i just haven't put the effort to going to that i everybody that i know goes and shoots that um but they they will pair you with a new shooter um if you're a new shooter and you want to go shoot that either hit up some people that are going so you you can be a solid amp um but uh or or email the match directors it's um you know shannon case facility there can amp so definitely a cool experience. Um, definitely do that. I mean, the, you're going to get paired with somebody good if you know them or not. So it's, it's pretty awesome. Uh, but I will t- give, give the newbies, because uh, I, I run a local, I've done two of them now, local uh, level here in Reno, uh, like a program style team match. And I pair, either they come to me with their AM or I pair shooter with experience. And I, and I know all the guys that are, that are coming besides the newbies. Um, but I will say, like, uh, if you're if you're planning on doing that, sign up for the match, get a hold of somebody, uh, email the match director. They have ways of pairing people. Um, but be the very best new partner that you can be. Come with solid gear that's shake that's shaken out. Don't present your partner problems so you guys can have the most fun. Um, they'll help you. They'll get you where you need to be. But do your due diligence beforehand because you already spent the money and you're going to travel and you can do all that. But do the back-end work that's required of having the right ammo, having gear that runs, have your head wrapped around what needs to happen. Um, that way you can give your partner a leg up so you're more effective and efficient and um, just be the best partner you can be and listen to what they're telling you um, and shooting mills. So uh, that's it. Uh, I feel like too, um, you know, being coachable and mentor, mentorable, whatever, by different people, because you might've learned something or somebody might've taught you something. And then you're going to have these conflicting things. Like you said, just kind of learn from them, see if you like their style or you know what I mean? Like they know their stuff, but 
you're going to hear different things from different people. Oh yeah. A lot of this is like, just like reloading, there's so many different paths to get to the same answer. You just got to figure out what your style is. Uh, that's, that's a truth, truthism of life. Um, figure out what your, your, your style is and then, and then play your game. That's it. Yeah. All the shooting stuff is just play your game, shoot your match. So um, definitely take advice, digest it, uh, take notes. Uh, when you when you go into those big matches, though, man, it's it's like whoa, it's a different world. Especially if you're not used to competitive shooting, like that's it's a big thing to take on. It's not easy. That was my it's last not- my last question. So if somebody does sign up for the first big major match, they roll up. What should they expect as far as like ROs? What they need to bring for their I don't know vehicles, hydration, snacks, all the silly stuff that goes into it. But what should they expect? So, uh, it's, it's cool. Some, so I'm a big fan of like destination matches. This is going to sound kind of weird, but I like to travel the matches that are very unique, not like, man, I'm a dime some guys out, but like, I don't really like going to Oklahoma. I'm just going to say that there's a lot of good shooters and good matches in Oklahoma, but it's not like a destination I enjoy going to. I got, there's some really good people in Oklahoma, just like some people don't like coming to Nevada and I get it um Nevada is so fun you can do so much there yeah everything's legal um but you know I I do like going to the matches like Montana and going to see a friend in South Dakota some of the places in Washington you know uh the coast in California there's a there's a there's a match that's coming on the coast in in San Luis Obispo that I'm going to go to just pretty places that are just awesome to go to It, it just makes the experience that much better than going to somewhere that's you know not as great and you're spending all this money to go travel i mean pick be selective about the matches you're going to do obviously do what you can afford but um you know i one of my favorite matches was actually the one that philip Vallejo ran uh it's got saturday before it got shut down um it was the one in, in wyoming cody wyoming of all places amazing spot uh it was it was held uh at the ranch that kanye west bought what yeah yeah so they they had to stop running that match because um uh, kanye west bought that ranch and he's not allowing it anymore but um that was probably one of my favorite spots to go we stayed in this beautiful cabin on this private lake in this like resort hunting ranch it was amazing mm-hmm. and i love that match not so much the match was good but man the whole weekend was just amazing because we got finished shooting and we're sitting on the the, the front porch of this cabin grilling up burgers having a beer just looking at this amazing scenery so yeah. that's pretty cool it's it can be like a super fun experience besides the shooting mm-hmm. um and that's what i say like yeah enjoy the the experience of the whole weekend not just like the range time um yep. and that's something yep. that i've gotten out of it uh to expect like some matches are like i said destination driven and they've got cool stuff or they're very square range and they've got vendor tents and and stuff for you to buy and, and see and people to talk to and that's pretty cool so generally how these matches were laid out. And I think this is part of the, where you're getting with this. So the bigger matches, um, you, you show up on Friday, you sign in at the venue, uh, the, the match venue location, and they give you your matchbook and you go zero uh, your rifle, make sure everything's good. They'll, some of, some matches have steel set up to shoot at, so you can dope out kind of some practice and stuff. Some matches don't have that. They just have a hundred yard board, just depends on the range of the match director. And then uh, Saturday morning, you show up usually early, seven o'clock, six thirty, whenever that match trigger tells you. Depends on the time of year. And you do your safety brief and everything in the morning. And you walk your stages, and you're shooting all day till three, four o'clock. And then you go, and then you. This is the best part. 
the best part is after day one and you talk to anybody, doesn't matter if it's the person in last place or the person in first place, they all tell you they shot like shit. All of them. Yeah. The worst yeah. poker face thing on the planet. How'd you do today? Oh, not so great. Shot like shit. Everybody. Everybody. Show me, find me the guy that says, oh, I had a pretty good day today after day one. And they all say they didn't do it. Um, but then, and then uh, day two rolls around, same thing as day one. And then usually finish up a little bit earlier on day two because um, everyone's motivated to roll through it or you have less stages to shoot. Usually shoot about 10 to 12 stages on day one and then 10, 12, it depends on the match, day two. Then you go and have the awards banquet thing. It's usually a pretty good catered meal. And uh, you wait around, have some beer, eat some food and uh they read off the names of where everyone plays so you get to go walk the prize table uh, or raffle however they have that get your trophy if you're one of the good guys uh walk your prize table in order they do ro recognition some different awards and stuff and then after that's all done a couple hours everyone shakes hands and you get out so that's usually the two-day match experience it's really cool i will tell you that i was just completely blown away at the prize tables and the, and the donations and stuff to the rifle matches compared to the pistol and multi-gun stuff it's moving to pure right yeah. it, it's it's uh it's a completely different thing i was like holy crap they like they got whole rifles up there not oh, just one but like oh my god and then like i never seen a three thousand dollar scope on a prize table before like there's three of them what is this and some of them some matches i shot were actually cash back matches where they had checks in, yeah. sitting up there yeah for quite a few people are like wow that's pretty cool um and send to some different matches they they do stage prizes too like if you won a stage or a timed event or something like that's pretty cool um you get, to, get to collect your stuff on that um so that's pretty cool there's there's also stuff side matches are fun they have this thing called a side match i, I don't know if this has gotten gained popularity or not in the multi-gun world I, i've shot a couple months ago sure have. so they have side matches on sign up day where you walk up and then pay five bucks something that usually goes to charity or something and uh, you win something cool if you got a fast time or high score. Or challenge or coin. We did have the mile somewhere. Can't remember. You got challenge. Coin. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. See that? Um, yeah. So that's that's usually the experience. Now locals a little different. You show up. You help set up, and you shoot. You score, and you pack up and you go home. And that's no, no, usually no. it. No, no, no. You help clean up and break down. Yeah, yeah. you take everything out. <laughs> okay but there's one fundamental difference between shooting nothing but steel and shooting paper <laughs> is you don't have to tape and set yeah yeah i know that's awesome it is like, and it isn't like what do you do during that downtime you're just standing around no wrong answer <laughs> you should be reading the, the wind. correct answer no yes so the correct answer is if you're just standing around staring at dirt or trees is you should be spotting picking up brass or ROing. Mm -hmm. Don't be the guy that's staring at the sun. Just like I just think to there's so much less to do, I guess. I'm so used to- There's not though, because if I'm not, if I'm not tending to match stuff um, or running a timer or score pad, I am glued to my binoculars or spotting scope, whatever I brought with me to the match. <laughs> and I am watching impacts. Yeah. I am well, watching what the bullets are doing. That should be part of the gear. Somebody, they need a spotting scope, binoculars, all that good stuff. Yes, that's a, that's a very good thing to have, um, but that's a little farther down yeah. the line. I would say if you have that, bring it. Uh, Bino spine scope. I, I normally just bring a big tripod that you can shoot off of and use for positional work, uh, as well as binos. Um, and I and I use that all day. I carry that carry that around all day. So that's a part of my gear that doesn't go anything. My gear and what what um, and what an experienced or inexperienced shooter would bring is is probably totally different. I am pretty minimalistic. I have my backpack with my ammo my game changer 
um, Kestrel's on my belt. I've got two mags on my belt. I've got my tripod with my binos in, in the, uh, the scabbard of my uh, backpack. I've got my rifle and that's about it. Okay. That's it. And if I, and if I expect weather, I'll, I'll throw a rain jacket or something in my, um, in my backpack and that's it. Yep. And I, oh God. Uh, and water and snacks. That's it. Do y'all shoot in rain? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The, the people that don't shoot in rains, uh, or in rain and, and wind and stuff, they're, you know, they're, they're not they're in not, it. They're not in it. They're not in it. They're not <laughs> dedicated. You got to shoot in all weather. That's part of the gig. I agree. I mean, I the bullets fly the same it's they they go so uh we we have a particularly bad uh thing going on right now I had to cancel two matches now locally because we have the wildfire smoke the smoke is so bad that uh, can't you can't see past three four hundred yards you you can't yeah uh fog is the same wave i've shot matches where we had to wait for fog to roll out then it comes back in all that but if you can't see the targets i get it but um if you can see the targets and just got a little bit of rain then tough it up like, exactly. tough enough to do it. shoot the rain <laughs> you'd, be, you'd be surprised oh. you'd be surprised what you can do i know i know so matt any final thoughts you want to leave listeners with uh you know it's I, whoa over two hours now people will I know. hear me ramble about various <laughs> stuff over picked up something uh so, so I, I don't know just hit the takeaways real quick if you're gonna get into this uh jump in both feet um and, and be dedicated to it because you're not gonna get the instant results that you want um buy a lot cry a lot thanks morgan king for that um and if you have questions ask them like that's that's the big thing it's like i answer the same questions over and over and over and i'll answer a thousand thousand more times so um yeah that's that's pretty much it awesome any shout outs you want to give to your sponsors yeah i i've i've uh i've got two of the best uh in the industry uh, i've i've kind of narrowed it down and i've got some really good friends at other companies um, always friends at Hornady are, are amazing people, HS Precision, amazing people, Josh Clough. I love that guy. He just got second at a national rifle league match. It was his best finish ever. Love that guy. Uh, he's, he's a trip. Um, of course, uh, employee and, and, or my employer and, um, great friends there at Modular Driven Technologies. You need a, a chassis, magazines, bipod, anything for precision rifle build, Modular Driven Technologies is your answer. And then of course, loophole of all my friends there. Uh, great people, great products. Uh, love the Mark Five, especially reticle. And um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Awesome. Uh, how can people find you online, on social media, website, all of that? So Facebook, I'm a little slow to um, to friend people, <laughs> but if you shoot me a message, like I'm cool with it, I'll answer. Um, because man, I am so tired of political posts on Facebook that I'm getting really slow at, at, at or friend requests. So uh, Instagram is the best way. Uh, three guns, two hands. It's really easy. The number three guns and the number two hands uh, on Instagram. It's pretty simple. I'm the dude with the picture of the rifle. So that's it. And hey, I just want to say thank you. Uh, it's been a while since I got to talk to someone about a bunch of different rifle stuff. So thank you. This was a lot of fun. And by the way, Gap grinds like in my backyard of Tennessee. So when you come. Do I'll it. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to go. I'm going to go and do the, the ballistics lab and watch and whatever. Yeah, I definitely would. Uh, and I have a, I have a confession. Tennessee is actually one of the last states I have not been to. Somehow I have not been to Tennessee and I've wanted to do national Nashville and Memphis so bad. Um, so I will let you know when I'm headed that way. Please do. I'll come watch or better yet. Try some <laughs> shooting. I don't know. <laughs> right on. Awesome. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate it. And I uh, appreciate everybody listening. 
Thanks for listening to the Reticle Up podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube. Follow along on social media at Reticle Up or 3 Gun Kenzie.